Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Now, here's the thing, Monty. When I tell you about the freeze pipe, I'm not referring to a metaphorical cycle of development regarding Greek architecture, though the freeze pipe is a marvel of engineering that has its own timeless quality. Similarly, I'm not talking about the curved platform from which the best snowboarders perform their craft. When I tell you, I can get you 10% off the freeze pipe. But it's a cool experience that could have a radical effect on how you get high. I'm also not referring to the bizarre recruitment strategy that meant the Czech AD carry player freeze always followed forgiven on the teams that the Greek player was kicked off of. Though if you do <laughs> heed my call about the freeze pipe and plump for the twin turbine percolators on the tornado bong, then you'll be in for your night share of great smoking experience. No, wow. I'm referring to the wide selection of bongs, bobblers, dab and oil rigs that the freeze pipe offers. 10 Set off with the code LFN at thefreezepipe.com. That was quite clever, sir. I, Not bad. I applaud Not you. Bad. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, they also have the new uh, blunt tip, which we've been talking about too. Yeah. Of course, if you, you can buy just uh, traditionally. Yeah, if you have a joint, uh, you can just pop it in here and you can keep this in the freezer always, basically. And it freezes in only 20 minutes. You can also attach it. It has a it has a silicone attachment yeah. so that you can pop it on here and then you can attach a 510 vape cartridge. So that's actually, go. by the way, low key. That is actually a mega idea because not only is that yep. super portable, like you say, but then you can even actually get rid of the smoke on the fucking blunt. That's actually a genius idea. <laughs> yeah. It, yep. So uh, if you're looking for a smaller piece that can cool your smoke as it comes in, there you go. There's a new one. It's a it's a brand new product. They're actually releasing a whole bunch of brand new products. Uh, they were kind enough to sell or to send uh, to send Thorne and I some of the in development or unyet, not yet released products. So we'll show those off uh, a little bit later on, guys, uh, as we get deeper into the season. So fun stuff. And uh, as usual, supporting our sponsor supports us. Honestly, the Freeze Pipe has been a really great sponsor and really great partner. Love working with them. And uh, we put this out there as well. But as part of uh, our, our work with the Freeze Pipe, we are going to be doing another eSports cringe video. Uh, many of you liked the last one, and we allowed you to submit videos. And what we do is Thorne and I will use our, utilize our freeze pipes and then record us watching esports cringe videos. You can find the first iteration of that that we did as a 420 special here on the Last Free Nation channel. And if you'd like to submit your favorite esports cringe videos for us to review, you can do that in one of two places. One of them is on Twitter at Last Free Nation, where you will find a tweet asking for submissions. Reply to that with some YouTube links. And the other one, of course, is in our Discord, which you can find linked below here on the video. And in our Discord, there is a video submissions channel where you can copy paste some of the uh, some of the content. Um, so we will be doing that again in the next few weeks and making some great content. So thanks again for the to the freeze pipe for doing all of this. I'm sure you guys By enjoyed the, way, the last movie quite a bit. Or the last one thing uh, I think we might do video. in the future is like obviously we could do as many of these, like there's a million stupid videos in esports that are embarrassing, or people do like like the amount of like fails, like I'm not talking about live stream fails, just the ones where it's like 
Like, I could put it this way, even though this one actually wasn't that funny when you know the context, like that thing where that woman at like TwitchCon like a year ago just like jumped off that thing and like onto that form and like broke her back instantly. Like, oh. like Xbox is full of that, right? But here's what I actually think we should do for an episode. I think in the future, we should watch one of those videos where it's like a compilation of our best moments. Because what I always find weird is, this is why I always call it a persona, is because if people don't get it, no one on camera is the person they are off camera because there's inherently like you're aware it's performative, you know there's an audience, you know by the way that you're not there to just be yourself you're there to be like an exaggerated version so whenever you watch those clips back even if you're sober mate if you ever watch back your best moments you always just think like is that me is that me like, what? <laughs> like it just it almost seems like another person so i imagine being really high would make it mega entertaining <laughs> that's true that's true it, it is always like uncomfortable because you often also see all the flaws that no one else sees uh, <laughs> and uh, you're much more self self conscious and self critical. I always like, hated watching people, myself. You know when people get mad and they're like, "Oh, what a cringe joke! Why is he saying like here's the joke?" Because I actually understand you have to commit to every joke. If you don't, it automatically fails. It doesn't matter how good a joke it is. So like every now and then it's not going to land, but you have to commit to it. So it's going to be awkward in that moment. So there's, I bet there's also some amazing awkward ones. Ones if we actually ask people to look it up. Yeah, it's got to be some good for ones sure. for sure. So like, you I'll guys, quick call right now. I don't know where it would be is the problem. It'd be in like 2015 or something, but there was a one where, you know, when people are in like the green room and you just get like inner internal jokes that no one knows the reference to externally and like it would be too long to explain the whole thing. There was this whole thing where, because you know, I mean, it's actually a phrase in Camp Strike if people ever see, you know that thing where the guy goes like easy peasy, lemon squeezy, which is like a famous like English sort of thing you say, right? Which essentially just means something's really easy, but it's a rhyme, obviously, right? We had a thing like that where, for Team Liquid, we just kept saying, like, for some reason, something like, like, instead of, like, easy peasy, like, lemon, lemon squeezy, but it was, like, about Team Liquid. We just made one so it sort of work with liquid. It was, like, EZ squeeze Ed, liquid <laughs> PZ or something. Some, <laughs> see that, right? some, like, really weird thing that I developed over, like, a bunch of events of, like, me and Henry and some other people in the green room. And basically, on an event once, Richard, I've told this story before, but I probably haven't told it on a league show. Richard on this event, like like Liquid actually got like wrecked in the game before. And so when it came to the desk live, and obviously we never rehearsed what we were going to say, he just say, turns to me and goes, well, Thorin, I guess in the end you could say it was EZPZ liquid squeeze it. And then so it went like this to me. Like, so like, let me, and so what I did was like an absolute cunt. I just went, what does that even mean though? <laughs> and the best part is, you could see in an instant the look on his face of like betrayal of realizing like he's actually fucked me completely. Like he's pretending he doesn't know what that means. And there's no time. Like, if you don't get it, guys, if someone doesn't like that, you have to just let it go. You have to just go, right, well, I'll take the L on that one and just go on. So that that alone, if someone could find that clip, would be amazing. Because I guarantee it's one of my best of all time. I completely wrecked him. Just left him right out there on an island, just doing it. And it was literally my shit I'd made up. <laughs> I, I I mean I don't I don't blame you for leaving him out there because if you if he introduces non sequiturs to the audience where it's a joke it's like an inside joke among the the talent <laughs> into the broadcast you kind of deserve to get wrecked like that you kind of deserve it. <laughs> Because people don't know back then, especially in like the events we used to work like six, seven years ago, dude, there was never any breaks. Like, you were just working like 14 hour days. So like after time, yep. you're just saying stuff that comes to your head. Like you don't even know if it's good or not. You're just too, you're too deep in the water at that point in time. All right. Uh, let's talk about some League of Legends topics. So uh, this is a conversation that we had on Power Spike, and I'm sure you you talked about it yesterday on Best Damn League Show. Uh, but there's been some complaining about the LEC format as it stands right now, particularly the fact that there have not been real stakes, people would argue, for the summer playoffs. You know, there's not even like a world spot guaranteed for the winner. 
And it just feels kind of awkward to have these rather meaningless summer playoffs. They're not entirely meaningless, obviously, uh, because they get you points to the season finals, then take a three week break and then go into the 2023 season finals where all of the world seeds are going to be um, available for teams to win. Right. Um, And I feel like there's been a lot of pushback on this, which I'm not in love with this part of the format. Right. Like I like the three splits and the more tournament structure, but it does feel like the, the wind has been taken out of the LEC sails a bit by not having any real stakes to the summer playoffs. After the qualification occurred, because obviously there were stakes for XL and Fnatic coming through and which one was going to make the finals and which one was going to qualify uh, potentially for worlds like XL needed to to get that win. But once we got to the finals, it was a pretty quick stomp. Viewership was half of what it was for summer finals last year, even though it's not really analogous because we need to see what the season finals viewership are, because that's that's more, you know, the the pomp and. Um, you know, stadium events that is going to be the more one-to-one correlation from last year to this year. But do you have any thoughts on how this is played out as the LEC format? I mean, one of the big problems quite clearly is when you look at how LEC themselves messaged this change, they themselves went out of their way to make it sound, because this is the thing Tom was bringing up as well, but he's right, actually. Historically, one thing that has fucked it, unfortunately, is going to three splits and now there's even finals, is... On the, one, the one hand, you don't want to do what LEC did, which is they tried to imply by the, what they've done with their choices that actually each like split isn't a big deal anymore. It's basically just a qualifier. You get some prize money, you get better spots. So, but it's basically just a championship point accumulator to go to this season final. And really, if anything, it's the other way around, guys. They want it to be this one championship. It's called the summer finals or season finals instead of like a spring split and a summer split. But they've simultaneously fucked both ends. Because on the one hand, everyone's treating each of the three splits like they are an LEC title. And me and Don were talking about the fact that that actually is going to ruin history, unfortunately, because essentially, like, that means that, like, think about the people who, like, you know, when Caps won, like, six LEC titles in a row. Someone could do that in two years or less now if you count the season finals as well. So, like, right. that already throws off the accomplishment. Like, what does a title mean anymore? But the worst thing is, and this is why I'd actually bring this up to you, is they've done the same mistake Overwatch League did in, in the first season. Remember, I actually thought it was dope, the format. You had the stages, so you got to test with people, like, on patches and, you know, depending on what the meta was. But then you got the grand finals. So, if you'd have done it right, you combine it all, you get like a circuit and you get the big worlds essentially. Yep. But instead, if people don't know, Blizzard went out of their way to be like, actually, these stages mean almost fuck all, lol. And then just treat them like this, like it was just some bullshit like thing every few weeks. So I've always thought the main problem to me is, if you notice, they've sort of got the worst of both worlds. You've got a championship, but like you say, it feels so disconnected and almost irrelevant to some of the rest of the competition with who qualified and how people qualified. So that doesn't actually build off any hype. And then meanwhile, you've taken those splits, which if it was me, I'd have each of those, like the top four, like, I'd have the playoffs at least in the stadium and I'd have like a hype and I'd make it like pressure. So you could make like a step. And they've, instead they've done the opposite. They've treated that like very frivolously as though like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just like the first split or whatever. So the problem I have is I don't really, I think they're very confused with their messaging. Man. I don't know what they think this circuit is yeah i think we have to remember and we have to go back in time to this the announcement of this format and uh you know we did know at the time that there was a compromise that was made by riot and that compromise was if we are going to add additional broadcast days in order because it, it takes longer and it takes more money to do this format right um you have to have more game days uh than you did previously especially because a lot of these are three-day weeks now 
right every week as opposed to doing two two day weeks and then super weeks, which is kind of, you know, the occasional super week, which is what we had before. And so part of the compromise was that they were only going to get one stadium event. Like they took the money that was going to be used for one of the two stadium events that they used to have, and they applied it to adding more broadcast days for this format. And so I think we have to remember that this was an experiment that the LEC was running, and it's not that we're not going to have bigger stadium events in the future. As we have talked about multiple times on this show, Riot is moving towards having another international event in the year, which will be you know, it will also carve up the other region schedules into this kind of winter, spring, summer format um, where there is going to be a break between winter and spring um, or its equivalent in other regions. As I've said before, L LCS is overwhelmingly likely to move to the LEC format or something very similar uh, for next year. And so, you know, once once they're, all the regions are in the same kind of break structure, then we may be able to see additional funding go to having stadium events for every single one of these finals, right? Or e even if they're not stadium events, events with a larger venue at the very least. Like maybe it's a 5,000-person theater instead of a 15,000-person stadium. You know what I mean? So I, I guess that there is some level of disappointment in the hype. But for me, I applaud Riot for taking the risk of doing this and moving some of the money around because I think it has worked on the whole and people are nitpicking the championship point system and they are nitpicking the season finals, which I'm not in love with, but these are fixable problems. And on the whole, I would much rather have the winter, spring, summer kind of tournament format that we have in LEC right now because it's been much more hype. It just needs to be tweaked and fixed a little bit, but this is a first shot at this format, and it's way better than the, the double round robin best of ones that we had previously. The only thing is, though, as usual, whenever you talk about any Riot game, you must always explain to people that Riot just choose arbitrary rules and then complain, I'm trapped inside my own universe. I am the Demiurge, but I made the world this way. And now I am trapped and must behave this way. It's like, you made it, mate. You can undo it. Like, the reason why this whole thing is so whack is because why do I have to be gaslit my whole fucking 20-year career? So right now, people, there's a tournament called I Am Cologne going on in CSGO right now. One of the most iconic Counter-Strike events, arguably the most iconic Counter-Strike event ever. It takes place in the country of Germany, where fucking all of the LEC splits take place. Now, spoiler, has there ever been uh, LEC finals in the Lanxess Arena? Has there? Fuck, mate. Have they ever had one in Berlin's football? <laughs> have they? Fuck, mate. They don't even do the basics. So, first of all, you don't even have to go out the country, mate. You can just go within the country and make stadium events. Then, how about this? The IM Cologne event I'm referring to right now, if you take out, right, it actually starts with something like 2014, because it has that plane for the first week or so, but then it gets down to the top six 16, and then you get the top six and they go to the playoffs, right? Even just if we go to the 16 team part, remember there's only 10 teams in the LEC, Monty, right? They have 16 teams play out double limb groups into a single limb playoff, right? Just count the games up, mate. That's already more than a whole split of LEC. But why <laughs> can we have that, Monty, in two weeks? And they had to take a fucking month or more to do the LEC because they created an arbitrary rule which will never, ever make sense. The arbitrary rule is this. You, every person watching right now, must watch every game of League of Legends in your region. <laughs> 
It has never existed in a single esport, in a single sport. I don't know any competitive endeavor where everyone watches all of the shit. By the right. way, you know, even sports like the fucking like Tour de France, no one watches all the races, mate. You watch like the pack here, or you watch this team, or you're a fan of this split. Nobody follows sports that way. Like the joke is, you're always going on about that Formula One drive to success, right? Well, why would you need it, Monty? Why doesn't everyone just watch the whole race from beginning to end and learn about all the drivers? Because that's not what anyone does. Nobody is a fan of a sport. You are a fan of certain people and styles of things or people from your country. These are the reasons people connect. So to me, I'll just rewind it back again. Like, why do we have to do any of this this way? Why can't there be two streams? Right. And also, also, it's even worse than that, Thorin, because they couldn't possibly have the LCS and LEC on at the same time because they expect all English speaking fans to watch both the European and the North American leagues. Right. So you can't have any overlap. Like logically, they should probably both be on the same days. They're not even at the same time zone either, mate. The whole thing's so stupid to me. You know what I mean? It's like they, they set up, like I say, this this isn't guys. Like you're the one you're talking about with money. Yeah, that might be actually a real concern. Maybe you have to like budget it out and if we give you one more, but that's fair. What we're talking about here, these are just arbitrary rules. Like, this really, yeah. uh, I decree that everyone will enjoy all of League of Legends. Like, what are you talking about? Who's this fucking it's, mad cunt? Like, get him out of here. It's <laughs> the same reason why they put LCS at 2 p.m. Pacific time on a weekday, on weekdays in the United States, right? It's not best for the American audience. That's just objectively true. You could start LCS at 4 p.m. and it would be way better. It would run 7 to midnight on the East Coast. There's a totally reasonable schedule. Be significantly better for the West Coast audience. But they don't do that because they want to capture European audience. Right? That's what they're doing. So, I mean, I agree with you. It's, you know, it, it reminds me, I don't know if you remember. So the actor Rob Lowe, there's a picture of him that was taken a couple years ago in an NFL hat. It's just a hat that has the NFL logo on it. And it became a meme in American sports because people were asking, why the fuck would you be a fan of the NFL? That doesn't make any sense. But Riot, they repeatedly refer to people as like LCS fans or LEC fans. Like they expect, and they they release merchandise. Like here's the wildest thing. They release merchandise with like the LEC logo on it. Who buys that stuff? It was hilarious when Rob Lowe was wearing this hat because I didn't even know they sold hats with the NFL logo on. Well, we don't. They probably gave it for this. <laughs> I mean, it's just it. it's just like deeply weird, uh, and it it became just really a point of mockery in American sports culture that you would be wearing a hat about the league as opposed to a hat about a team, um, which goes which goes to your point. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think. I think that is kind of outrageous, but even so, like, I think, I think when we talk about this format, you can see the, the upside of it, especially if you remember what used to happen pre 2015 in league of legends. So in 2012, 2013 and 2014, when I was working at OGN and we did the three tournaments a year that were very similar in terms of calendaring and structure to the LEC format right now. The difference is, is that there was a build into the finals and the finals were always just absolutely spectacular, right? They were in crazy locations like the beach on the beach in Busan famously, um, you know, they moved it around so that you would have a different experience. There was always the hype videos and the trash talk videos. So custom content that people looked forward to. So there is a way to it's not the format's fault that there may be a lack of hype. It's the execution of that format 
um, that is a little bit lackluster. And I do agree that they need to rethink the way the circuit qualifies people for worlds because that's not working um, in terms of making the summer playoffs super meaningful to fans. Uh, and, you know, I, there's not even, here's the thing, Thorne, there's not even a rule that you have to have the summer format be the same as the winter and spring format. Like, why can't you no just... Rule at all. Why can't you just combine the season finals and the summer season into one larger tournament that qualifies you to Worlds, right? This is why, to me, if you don't care about the splits or you don't consider them a championship, then why are there three and why do they have to all be identical? Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, can easily make... There's no rule it, that they have to be the you same. Can, <laughs> you, like, for example, if you don't like the idea that, like, a lot of... So, okay, this is something actually pro players were complaining about. Some of them don't like the fact that, like, if you do badly in the split, you're straight out and you wait, like, a month or whatever, right? Okay, I'll give you a deal. Winter split is just a league, like the old one would be your ones. It's just a round robin. There you go. Then the spring split, maybe that becomes like groups in a place. And then summer one is like a mega one like this with like two times the points. It's like a full best of three. It's like the LCS playoffs, like full double limb bracket in the playoffs. We could do that one. Like you're saying, we could make each one have its own distinct identity. Here's what I would do to fix it. Like, first of all, the most obvious thing they have fucked up is this. This is why season finals feels weird now because people have just realized, wait a minute. So... So aside from like winning the prize, I mean, what was summer about then? So that wasn't even the one that qualified in the world. So wait a minute. So it's sort of like your brain is trained from the old method in like 2014. Like that was the qualifier for worlds. Like playoffs of summer is how you get to the world. So what I would do is this. I would make it, you know how in uh, winter and spring, if you won, you got an MSI slot, right? Obviously winner of summer should get a, a world spot, but just make it so that they don't get the number one seed. They still have to win the season final to get number one seed. So it means if you're G2, you're guaranteed the world spot no matter what. But you still have something to compete for. And then here's what I would do. I would make it so that the season finals, the reason that is going to be my ultimate championship is because I just make the spectacle way bigger. Have it in a full-size stadium, have massive building in these weeks of content. Basically, just message to the players. Like, the other three are like, they're almost like circuit championships. They're mini ones within it that you prove that you were really good and you get to these finals. But the finals is where you get the big, the finals essentially, it's like the, it's like the European major of League of Legends is the premise you want it to be like. So like, that's the, in, in the same way as now, we're not going to count the three small ones as equal to an LCS title. In some ways, we're going to count the season finals as like a mega LC, LEC title. It's like if you'd won two in the past year. That's how I want them in the message season finals because essentially, everything for Europe should build into the season finals should be the most hyped event of the year. And then you go to Worlds. So I just think they've, they just haven't messaged it well, in my opinion. And I think the points thing is just obvious. All you do on the points one is this. You just make it progressive. So like winter, let's say like it's like 90 for first place in winter. Then you make spring like 120, then you make like summer like 150, you know what I mean? Whereas they made winter and spring identical, and then they just put like summers like two and a half times or, so, or 1.5 times or something. So, like, I, I think yeah. the, the changes are pretty obvious if you've watched a lot of circuits. Yeah, summer is 1.5 times the points that you would earn in, in winter and spring, which you do want, by the way, guys, because yeah, you do want too much to winter is the problem, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not as, uh, you know, it doesn't progress as much. And so you could do a tiered system between winter and spring as well. Um, and, you know, you, you deal with this problem. So like 
So Especially because remember, it, here's the detail people forget. You're already basically, the main reason you want to use the winter and spring points is for the MSI stuff, right? Like in case someone wins both splits, you want their second play. So actually, that one isn't even as relevant for season finals and worlds. You know, winter doesn't really matter as much. You don't want it to matter, not at all. Like if someone wins it, you don't want them to have no chance to make the fucking season finals. But I feel like they just, to me, this is why I always want to know. This is why it sucks as no commissioner. I, do, I hear that Riot just announces stuff. Here's what's weird, Monty. In the game, they're the opposite to how they are in other esports. Because you know, actually, in the game of League of Legends, they're amazing at telling you why they right. did it. And what, like that's actually one thing I've always given Riot mad props for. Like I know Freak took it like a step further, but they already used to in the patch notes put like that thing. And in the free recent years, when they added the keynotes of like what it should be, OP, that's mega. But can we just have that for the competitive stuff so we know why you did it? <laughs> I, here's the thing: maybe they even have a reason. I don't know that. Like has a logic to it, but if I can't know what it is, it often seems. Like these are just arbitrary choices, right? Uh, well, I mean, they do sort of explain it at times. The problem is, is that so when we talk about the design side, Thorne, so you have, I, I don't know how to say his name, like Froxen. Uh, he's one of the designers and he releases kind of like patch previews and explanations on Twitter that I really enjoy uh, reading. Obviously, I think Freak's um, video explainers have been really insightful. Uh, and I, it's good to hear kind of the logic behind the the decisions that they're making um but the thing is thor and those are people who are like on the balance team and are highly knowledgeable about the balance of esports the problem is that the messaging that we get from riot esports is done by john needham who leads it who knows fucking nothing about esports or formats right he, he doesn't know anything guys like he I'm sure he is capable of running the business end of things in terms of the esports unit, but he is not somebody who has extensive experience in esports, in the nitty gritty of format, in competitive operations. And so the the what we hear, Thorin, is like, well, we need to keep worlds at single elimination because it provides the hype our fans want. I mean, that's literally the 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 explanation he gave for having. Worlds continue to be single elimination when they announce the double elimination, elimination format in MSI. So it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't give you any insight because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and that's the difference is they don't have anybody who is doing this messaging like a commissioner who should be have in-depth knowledge of esports formats, who is willing to put themselves out there and say, the, this is the reason why we're making these decisions because it's, you know, it would be like, you know, the lead producer of the game of League of Legends talking about the nitty gritty of balance. They don't do that. They they delegate the talking about balance to the public role to people who know what they're talking about. Right. Who's not in charge of managing the business pipeline and making sure that everything rolls out in terms of new skins, you know, the arena mode, whatever have you. Right. That it's not they're not in the trenches on the balance. And so I think that's the upsetting thing is that they continue to roll out these high level executives to explain these things instead of the people who are actually responsible for those changes in the product. I mean, it's also a major problem esports in general has. Like, haven't you noticed how, like, if people don't know, this did actually happen once. Even though he was a rival man, this was a good hire. ESL, back in, like, the end of 2008, hired Carmack, who was a journalist at the time, to be essentially the commissioner of, like, Intel Extreme Master. I think he was called, like, product manager or something, right? And his job was not only to decide things like this, like the format of the finals, but then to message to fans why it was that way. And the sad thing is, I thought that would be a trend. Dude, that was, like, the end of that. Like, what happened is... the 
people who would be the best at both determining the format and messaging it are never allowed to be in that position to have that job. Most of the time, yep. they won't even be hired. And there's two factors to this. One is that the kinds of people in esports who are between the money men and these decisions, unfortunately, are the Reddit mods of the world. They're just intolerable arseholes just abusing power. Like, as far as I can tell, it's because they all came from like their failed executives in football or there's some like yep. German businessman who just got up to this point now and this is like the biggest he's been. So they're all like flexing their power like mad. And then sadly, the effect that that then has, this is why Riot will never be good guys because they never replace any of the fucking shitters making all the decisions. So after they've made a shit decision, they turn around and hire another bozo or make another bad decision because you haven't cleared out the people at the top. And the worst part is just like Riot, it means even if a cool person joins, it's the other way around. They become compromised by how shit the system is, not the other way. They don't like influence the system and make it better. Like if people don't know right now at ESL, like my boy fucking Sponge has got all sorts of shit behind the scenes. Like, has he gone there and made it cooler? And also, no, it's him who got de degraded and compromised and became fucking whack because he's the one who's there like, oh, the, the bag though. Like that's the worst thing about these companies. It's why, by the way, as a quick aside, it is the most whack angle ever. What like Liquid basically tried to claim they're doing about that Saudi shit where they just make it like, but if we go to the event though and show our values, what that in some way like influence them. No, no, it will never make sense that you compromising all your morals and values to go and play a video game tournament means you're winning like the culture war. They, by definition, just won the culture war. You just surrendered in exchange for a giant bag of money. So the worst part about all this to bring it back is not only do these companies never have like a really cool person who knows loads about formats and how to explain it and a commissioner you can talk to. But as far as I can tell, they never will have. It's actually really sad, mate. Like I think of this league right now, LEC, May imagine if you actually could go back in time and instead the commissioner is quick shot or deficio or if we're going way back in time like crepo or someone dude that would be the shit snoopy these people would all have been amazing at this role like they don't only really know what they're talking about have a legit like understanding of competitive integrity type stuff but more importantly they'd be able to message it to us and they wouldn't be afraid to either so i think that would uh, that would be the future i want to live in mate i, I mean they also have the trust and of the teams and the players and the coaches, right? Which means that they can have honest conversations about what the teams and the players want and take those considerations into account when they're designing these formats, right? You need somebody who has the connections and and the belief, you know, the faith of the, the esports establishment in order to make that work. But, you know, at the end of the day, Thorne, it's it's never going to be that way because the the owners, even in the franchising models, the team owners have no say over who the commissioner of the league is. And so what happens is, unlike other traditional sports guys where the teams own the league and they can put the, the people that they collectively want in charge to represent their interests, what you get is you get a bunch of corporate ladder climbers who don't want to make waves because the commissioner of a league is merely a stepping stone on their way up the corporate ladder of the developer, right? It may not even be that they want to stay in esports forever. So they are going to do nothing to antagonize the their their bosses within the developer. They're not going to challenge them in any way shape or form because they don't they they don't want to be fired. Like they don't want to be pigeonholed into the commissioner role. It is is merely a step on the staircase up to the top of the corporate system. And that corporate system at the end of the day isn't an esports corporate system. It's not. It's a game development corporate system. So everybody basically who is in these roles is attempting to at some point escape into something that is not esports.
And that's the problem. They're not going to ever do anything that represents the best interests of the competitive scene if it is at odds with something that somebody above them wants, which it always is because the core business of Riot Games is game development. It isn't esports. And that is the fundamental conflict, right? You're not going to go stick up for the teams. Fuck the teams, right? Fuck the teams at the end of the day. Aligning with them and trying to get something more for the teams at the expense of the developer is never going to be popular with your bosses. And so that's that really is the core the core issue of all of this, right? Is that, as we said before, many of these people are just esports tourists. They're not here to make a career in this industry. They're here to use this industry as a tool for advancement into non-esports spaces. Just to bring it back, and this is something we have discussed in the past, especially when this format was announced. It's like you said about the Korean events. May anyone who thinks you actually have to be in a real stadium to do an esports event, or did you just miss, let me check snorts, the first 15 years of esports? What are you talking about? Like in Korea, in OGN, they would just rent any venue, like gymnasium of a high school, fucking warehouse in the middle of an industrial area. All you do is you need an empty area, set up a screen, and you put a load of like plastic chairs out, that's it. And you charge to Depends on how good it is. If it's mega, to get 30 euros a day. If it's shit, 10 euros a day, whatever. People would turn up. By the way, I can tell you, I already went when I was in Cologne last year to a thing where SK Gaming had like a 25-year celebration of being an org, right? And all they did is rent out like a place in like an industrial area that you just drove to in a taxi. And it was like a dance floor and bar and all. So it's so easy to sell. Because the reason I bring this up is when I come from other games like Dota and CSGO, it's so whack that like not only do you not have this big circuit of tournaments, but then you're having whole splits where it's just in a studio still like I'll use now some info I gave on best damn league show a few weeks back someone on my discord pointed this out and when you see it you'll never be able to unsee it and it will actually ruin this person's career for you and make you realize LCS slash LEC in the last few years because of a certain thing that meant we couldn't have a lot of lands is ruined competitively it's bad enough that everyone's won all the championships are you ready you know what I'd be every big result he's ever had in his career Monty is just in a studio it's not in a stadium I even have a nickname. I call him the Studio Gangster. <laughs> he did it in Under Thieves, because think about when he went there. He did it now in Excel. He's never in a fucking stadium, mate. If you don't know, guys, in CSGO, people to this day religiously mock people who are good in, like, lands, but just the tournament area or good online. If you're not good in the big stadium with the crowd, you get mocked. Like, you're treated as, like, a second-class citizen. You haven't made it yet. In League of Legends, like, there's not only still more like there's only there are there only used to be two splits a year. There still wouldn't be a stadium event for both. Like Pro and CSGO, every event has a stadium at the end. Even like fucking Blast would get like a five thousand seater when they went places. Like to me, this is actually necessary for competition because here's what happens, right? XL's the best example now. So this XL team that just made the finals, pretty lackluster team. Like people like Peach, probably one of the worst players to make a final. Someone like Limit, just an all right player, you know, like. Not very many really world-class players. But because they just did it in a studio, who does give a shit? It's just another week. Like, all he did is change the ban instead of saying groups, he said playoffs. There wasn't like a massive crowd. There wasn't a big pyrotechnic thing that made Peach really think about it when he was coming out on the stage. <laughs> Abadagi didn't have to look across as he's setting his mouse up and go, fuck, I've never won in a second. Like, none of that, which is, by the way, that's what makes the cream of esports rise to the top. That pressure that ruins one set of people makes other people the most legendary champions ever. It's actually another reason why I think these splits don't mean as much to people now. They're sort of like, I don't like the format. No, what you don't like is the sheer lack of gravitas. These are just like another week in a studio. They don't mean anything to people. 
But but that's what I'm saying, that the the format is not the fault for that. I think this was an experimental year for LEC. I do think we're going to see more hype stages next Why year. Why do we need to experiment? We're 23 years into it. <laughs> I'm 22 years into my career. I don't need to go. Let me just try this. Out. We've already tried all the formats. I already know the ones that are good. You don't need to experiment. Just do it good. Do a good I, job. I agree. We also know this from League of Legends because, as I said, Come this literally this like literally happened some, in OGM. It's just like when someone gets lost when they're driving and they go, we're just having an adventure. It's like, you know, you're lost. You are just lost. You're seeing that to spin a bad experience into a good one. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I think like that it's a valid complaint, but they already explained why it was this way in terms of budgeting. And I do think that is going to shift up for next year. I do. And if it doesn't, well, that will be kind of a, I think, a very large failure on their part, because it doesn't have to be a blowout stadium. As I said, to your point, it could be a, just a smaller environment with a few thousand people. And even that would be more hype. I'll tell you what you could do. Here's an idea for you, because no one's ever had this in esports. I'll tell you a thing they actually started to do in a scene I follow, Battle Rap, right? Now, they also wanted, like, if you watch URL, which is the big American one, which is, like, the actual street culture one, they have massive, like, they'll hire out, like, a big, like, theater and have, like, thousands of people there. And their whole thing there is, like, the spectacle. You know, like, they have, like, private booths where, like, P. Diddy's there with, like, popping champagne with, like, famous rappers and stuff, right? That's one thing they did. But one thing they started doing in the modern day that's actually turned out to be really cool is they do what are called small room events where the way they make the atmosphere dope is it's just a way smaller room but as a result all the crowd's like literally right next to you here and so mm -hmm. it makes this like super intimate vibe. dude you could just do that for the finals you could literally get like 300 people in a venue like really close to the thing like make like a distance obviously they can't like touch you or something ridiculous but if you could actually make that would be like a super intense environment imagine like 300 people surrounding <laughs> you like that the fish and you're bowl. just playing be like fight club or something that sounds sick mate yeah um, lots of ways to do it. Uh, I think that will be improved, but I do think that people are conflating some of the issues because I agree that the stadium events or the live events escalation and the lack of hype is a problem, but that's not a problem with the format guys. That's just a problem with the execution. And people are making that a format problem when honestly, I think the format for LEC has been quite good and it doesn't need that many tweaks to be relevant. Like I said, you, it's, it's way better than it used to be, in my opinion. It's way it's better than it used to be. And yeah, the championship points, that could use some tweaking. The fact that summer was meaningless, yeah, just make the season finals and the summer season all one longer season compared to winter and spring and just have that seed worlds, right? Uh, you could do a very similar format where, again, you eliminate the bottom two teams, except after the regular season, instead of just eliminating the bottom two teams uh, in terms of that standing, what you do is you just eliminate the bottom two teams in terms of championship points yeah, you go and have accumulated throughout the whole year. So if you get ninth and 10th place, maybe you do go on to the next round, but you seed the 18 bracket in terms of championship point standings, right? Um, there's, there's easy ways that you can do this. So yeah, two teams would still get eliminated, but it wouldn't necessarily be the bottom two teams from summer. It would be the bottom two teams from championship points over the entire course of the year. There's a very reasonable way to do that. And if you weight the, the, the championship points differently, such as, as Thorin suggested, you make them different between winter and spring, and you have that tiered progression system. Um, I think it works. And that way you can just qualify teams straight out of summer. Because the other problem, Thorne, it's not just about the fact that this, these season finals exist. It's that there's a three-week break into the season finals. And those season finals are cutting it awfully close to the world championship. Especially when other teams are going to have a very, very long time to boot camp 
in Korea, like NA teams, NA ends in on August 20th. You know what I mean? And those teams might take a few days off, but they're going to be going to Korea really quick in order to prepare for the world championship. Meanwhile, the LEC season finals, let me just look at when they actually end. They're scheduled to end on September 10th. So it's it's literally, you know, a three-week. It's also mega difference. drawn out. Like every weekend, it's just two matches, basically. It's just two BO5s yep. every weekend for like, what, three weeks in a row? So it's also not very economical with the amount of space. Well, I mean, I'm sure it'll be good for viewership, Thorin. Because no, it's the thing. I wouldn't do it that way. Like, if you're going to do season finals, and you already talk about it, you've already got, like, a small schedule. You make it like a CS event. You just do it, like, every couple of days you're playing. You make it, like, two weeks yep. super intense. I'd do it like that, mate. Then also, sure. it'd have a different vibe to the finals. Like, the finals would be everything then. Yeah, but it's going to be the only league running because LPL is going to end this coming weekend. Uh, after that, we are going to immediately, you know, go into... Uh, the the finals of the LCS and LCK, which are both happening on the weekend of August 19th and 20th. And that's when the season finals start. Again, the weekend of August 19th and 20th uh, for LEC. But they're going to be the only game in town for a lot of these a lot of these matches. Like, you know, they've got two best of fives that weekend, but otherwise they're just running every single week until the finals. And then the ninth and 10th, they finish up. But what this is going to do is they're going to be playing on a different patch. Sure, they may be playing on a closer patch to the one worlds is being played on but they're going to have a lot less time to prepare than many of these other teams and you also have to remember that the third place team or the fourth place team then has to go to north america and play in that qualifier between na and eu and that team is going to take even longer to get to korea same thing of course of of the lcs teams um i you know what's funny is I imagine that some of those LCS teams, and this could be a huge advantage in that series, if you are the fourth place LCS team, Thorin, I imagine you go and boot camp in Korea in preparation for the match versus the LEC team, then you fly back to the States, you fly back to LA in order oh, to do that, that competition, because right. you have the time off. Oh, like, sense. why would you not go? You're not, yeah. like, because you know that all of the active teams that are scrimming in North America. So, if you're guaranteed to get into Worlds as a top three seed, you are going to leave NA as fast as you possibly can. And so, if you stay as the fourth seed, there's going to be nobody to practice against. So, you must also go to Korea in preparation for that match uh, against the LEC team. So, you know, you get to keep a lot of your practice private. There's going to be a lot more evidence of what that team is playing in the LEC because you're going to see them in competitive matches where they're fighting for their world's life, you know, a lot closer to the time period that you're going to be competing. It's a pretty big advantage, you have to think, for the for the NA fourth seed. Also hilarious if they lose anyway. <laughs> it does make it even worse. <laughs> admittedly hilarious i'm trying to figure out when the uh when the actual um when the actual qualification match is between na and eu i, I don't see a date on that one yet it's going to be pretty quick afterwards isn't it? if it's ended on like 10th of september or whatever yeah i mean it might be the but even if it's the 17th or something thor and even if it's the next week that's still you know a week less time for the eu team to prepare and and go and go um and go it's not over. listed on Gimpedia. They don't have a date. Yeah, I don't see it yet. Marks. I don't see it yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact they haven't announced that is concerning as well. So, uh, this is all to say that 
I do think that I am a fan of the new format, and I don't think we should throw it out. It's significantly better than the old format. I like the changes that have been made. I think the LEC format is a really good compromise between what the teams want, which is a, a guaranteed level of exposure and a guaranteed number of games, versus what we and the fans want, which is not watching garbage teams play League of Legends for longer than is absolutely necessary. It split the difference nicely. I... I like the stakes. Like it feels like during each individual split, every the stakes are good through every phase of the competition. Yep. There are do so. or die games at every point. The hype is there. You just need to fix the circuit point system. You need to fix the stakes that don't exist for summer. And you know, the season finals need to not be have a three week delay that will affect the team's potential performance at the world championship itself. So like, to I, me, the reason why you know it works is because every time you start an LEC split at the beginning, you just get reminded of how each format like benefits different teams. Like you see the teams that like are way better in the BO1s. Like for example, Herex is a great example. Herex was way better in BO1s. Then they were like, all right, in groups, then they were whatever in playoffs. Because you're going from BO1 to BO3 to BO5. And so I actually think the LEC split also by the end really shows you how good all the teams are. Because like you can fluke the BO1s. People have done it before, but will you hold up in the group stage? And if you do get through this group stage, but you squeak through, you're not going to win two best of five. So I actually think the format in general is pretty good at showing like who the best teams are. It's actually, it seems like it's, it's sort of justified itself to me. Yeah. And, and obviously like playing in a series is much better preparation for the actual realities of playing well at worlds. I mean, clearly like hilariously worlds has always had best of one, you know, when the, be you know, best of one formats, when the best leagues in the world never play best of ones and haven't for many, many years. It is literally the only time in the year that they play best of ones is at these international events. Um, and that obviously needs to be changed. And obviously Swiss is shit, as we said, and worlds is going to be very weird as a result of this. Um, wish we could just have the MSI format. It's great. Um, or something very similar to that. It doesn't make any sense why we would have two very different systems at their core uh, the between way, the international service. Here's the other suggestion. If you don't want it to be that it's identical in format to MSI, like, for example, maybe they like the single limb quality, Monty. I think the ESL format they do in their CSGO events is amazing, where it's two double limb groups, and it's just the top yep. six individuals that single limb playoffs. So it means you can have the stadium thing however you want it, but you still get, like, a very sturdy, like, system in the groups and lots of matches. It always makes sense where you are in the bracket and who's going to qualify. Like, I think that would even be a great approach. If you're playing best of in best of threes or best of fives in GSL groups, I don't mind single eliminations as much. It's the best of ones into single elimination that's the tilter, right? Because yep. it, there's no, there's nothing robust about the seeding for that system. And for those of you who don't know, in IEM Cologne, what happens is if you are in first place in either of the, the two groups, you get an automatic berth to the semifinals. And so then um, you get you actually qualify three teams out of each of the two groups. So the second and third place teams then play in. They're not technically quarterfinals because there are six teams in the in the bracket. Oh, they can be, but they call it round yeah. of six usually nowadays. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, the 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 third the second and third teams, you know, cross 
and play each other. And then the winners of that advance to play the first place teams from each of those groups. So it's a robust system because three out of the four teams escape into the group stage. And it's pretty certain that you eliminate the worst team when you're playing best of threes and Counter-Strike in that format. And if you were playing best of fives in League of Legends, you could be equally confident. So it's not necessarily that single elimination brackets suck. I would always, I would always prefer to have a double elimination bracket, but they are acceptable if the qualification to that bracket is robust enough itself. But it just never is in League of Legends. Just never. You can, you could always, if you want single elimination, you could always just reseed before the bracket. But y'all ain't ready for that conversation. You're, you literally, you're, 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 what level are you on, kids? You're on such a Barbie level. You're not even on the level of like the 2008 MSL from StarCraft. (laughs) That's how far behind some of y'all are. I'm, I'm looking at you through an alternate dimension. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, don't feel sometimes, man. It's wild. I mean, it, it, it always goes back in time to the Koreans fucking did it better. Like they did formats better. You know why? Because the reason why it, makes sense though, Monty, because it was all about a TV show. So they yeah. understood with the reseed one, for example, like, wait a minute. Cause remember NBC is the one that did all the best stuff. They had the reseed for the playoffs yes. they best of five, all the matches in the playoffs. And then they also had the group selection system. These are just things you do to pump the fucking TV ratings up. Like we've talked, we've discussed this in the past, but we used to be joking, but we actually got to do it at flashpoint is you realize one day, wait a minute. So there's no actual monetization realistically in esports except raw sponsorship from viewers. You do know by definition we actually shouldn't run this like a sport. We should run it like WWE then, because the only way we all make money is if the show succeeds and we get the big match. Like if people didn't watch the recent CSGO major, there was a team that were a bunch of nobodies and spoiler, two of their best players have already left called Gamer Legion, who made the final and played Vitality, who was like the number one team in the world at the time, right? If you were going to pick a, a final, you'd never pick that as the final. But the whole business, right? We all succeed based on having to get big viewership, but you don't get it because you just did like a sport like, well, whoever makes it, lol, this is crazy. Like, you actually should be more cynical in esports, essentially. And also, spoiler, normally I'd be against this because in theory, I'm a purist for competitive integrity. This industry doesn't give a fuck about competitive integrity on any level. So what are we even giving up at that point in time? Like, because <laughs> to me, I think it is so sad that like tournaments like Riots have actually given single limb a bad name that like it can't be good. Of course it can be. Some of the best tournaments ever were single limb. It's just like you say, they scuff all the first parts of it. So essentially got so many shit inputs that at the end, the output almost inevitably has to be whack because all i'll yeah, say is, is think of all the worlds you've ever watched all those great worlds tournaments mate it is actually fucking grim if you try to think how many truly classic series from worlds there are dude there's loads domestically of course ogm final stuff but you go look at actually worlds mate to even do like a top 10 series of all time mate by the time we get like down like four or five it's gonna be pretty rough and everyone yeah. knows the finals just suck dick that's just <laughs> that's just reality mate like that last <laughs> one was actually a bizarre like rare one where it was kind yes. of a banger like normally yep. they fucking suck those finals yeah, and it, yes, I, I mean that was that was arguably, I think, the greatest world finals ever was this last year. So people, w- people were were coming. You know, you're coming off a high right now because we got lucky. But the world finals have typically been absolute dog shit in League of Legends. They've been really fucking bad. Um, almost always, the best match of the tournament happens in semis or quarters. Almost always. Um, in some years, it doesn't happen at all because there's a weird fluke. And so one of the teams is eliminated and we never get to see certain matchups that maybe probably could have produced bangers. So it's it is unfortunate. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I, you know, this this whole thing, it continues to be very frustrating, but at least, you know, it's it's the it's the circumstance of a, a, a dying a man dying of thirst in the desert who gets a sip of water. At least we're getting a sip of water instead of just dying in the desert yeah, now. Right. So it feels slightly better. But to your point about Cologne, too, Thorin, it, it's a very big difference between the reverence people have for Cologne because the format is better. And because the hype surrounding the event, it feels like IEM Cologne at this point in time is more respected than the majors, which well, is, it is hilarious. People already yesterday, once the playoffs were set, Monty said, this is basically better than a major because the joke is the major themselves have their own fucked up format in CSGO because of Valve, right? So because this is tournaments just run right ASL, doesn't have to have Valve involved. They've actually got a better format at kind of 18 yes. Cologne. It's the same format than the majors. So they, it actually shows, I mean, there's no option for this in league because obviously you're not allowed to have non-riot tournaments. But like, even though the major will always be the most important for history, I can tell you about every player, the one you really want to win is like Cologne in the sense of like, it's an awesome right. format, it's a great stadium, you know the fan base is good. It has like history that connects back to like literally like 2014 or whatever. Like it's actually amazing. Like they've built that narrative out. Yeah. Imagine what would happen, Thorne, if ESL was allowed to do one of these events Sick, for League of Legends. And that's the fear, right? That Riot has is that someone can do it better than them. See, even white label them. Like, what about this? What if they just ran the actual season finals, which is all these like matches in double and bracket in a stadium like Lanxess in Cologne in fucking same country? Wouldn't that be straight fire? If people don't know, <laughs> you can criticize ESL for many things. They are amazing at those two stadium events. Galavitz in Cologne, they have nailed, they've been there so yep. many times, and they have the whole setup. Like, it is really, really impressive how well it's done. Like, it's way better than any of the Riot ones I've seen. I mean, even uh, Black as well at the Royal Arena in Copenhagen uh, in terms of the actual production value and visuals. Uh, they've really nailed that event as well. So it, it would be fun to see what one of these companies, even as a white label, could do uh, under those conditions. But we By can't way, have nice things. a random so. comedic aside, which will segue into talking about League of Legends. One thing that will always be a bit weird to me is this, Monty. Right, you remember back in the day when Romain, who's like the GM or whatever of G2 now, Romain Biggie, sure. used to work famously for Unicorns of Love. In fact, people don't know, he was basically the famous thing about Unicorns of Love where he would dress up in all those weird outfits and body paint. Great. Right? He still does that now, even though he's the GM of G2. Like, I love what? it. Like, <laughs> mate, there's so many times, if it wasn't for the fact I'm the only one who'd even get the joke, that I, when I see him do those pictures like four hours to go and he's covered in all body paint, I just want to do a meme tweet and just be like, this is the future liberals want you to live in. You know, like, because <laughs> he just looks like some fucked up cyberpunk like I love character it. I like... love it I love it I think it's so fun and I imagine like you know he's a he's kind of a hype guy and I imagine that it, it, it look here's the credit Thorin did Riot do anything to make a different mood oh, for the finals of course well Robert did I, like credit to him he's the only one who's fucking trying he's the only one who is trying to make the event special like the summer final special if you think about it guys we're still in the same arena it has the same stupid trophy that they gave away for winter and spring roban was literally the only man who was doing anything to make this a uniquely hype experience so respect to him <laughs> and he did I, if people don't know he does still keep up posting every split what the cancellation is he still does it, he still does it now. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's great that he holds people. Just, yeah, it's fire that he just calls out. Because the thing that, if you want to watch those, Monty, the thing that will blow your mind is every single split, there is like a bomb team that fucking keeps cancelling all the scrims. Like, bro, if you only knew, like, go ask some of the stories if you're a pro player about what it's like to be like the fourth seed from the West, go to Worlds, lose the first two scrims and never get to scrim any good Korean team and have no chance to get good. Like, if you're getting scrims against the best team in the West and you're cancelling, like, actually, fuck you. You're actually not only ruining your career, you're just ruining esports, mate. Like, why are you being a dickhead? Like, that's also <laughs> crazy to me, mate. Like, like that's still because there's one thing we've talked about in LCS a lot where famously people used to just cancel the scrims. How is that a thing in Europe, mate? Like, it just shows that these people are just like emotionally 14 years old. Like, remember, guys, this isn't 2013 where people make a thousand euros a month. Some of these players are making like a hundred thousand dollars a month and they're canceling fucking practice games because, like, oh, I don't really feel like, oh, my burger's just arriving. Like, are you out your fucking mind? Like, you actually for real need to work in like well, I almost said like in a gulag there, but I obviously meant metaphorically <laughs> in a sort of really hard work camp is what I meant, you know. I meant a job, basically. In the coal mines so, see, with you, pro players. This is why it was called unfiltered money, because I did attempt to filter myself there. Like my brain was like, whoa, whoa, think about it, think. Say gulag, yes, gulag. Yes. <laughs> oh, cold, no, I, you know, their their grandfathers were working in the coal mines in indentured servitude to the company store, and these guys are are canceling scrims because they got tilted because they lost a, a video it's game. <laughs> it's the, the most ridiculous version of that, like you know, like good times create weak men. It's like the most ridiculous version of that cycle, but just with poor gamers instead. <laughs> too funny it's too funny um yeah all right i i and people will people will ask like what's the point of tweeting these like scrim results or anything like that i, I first like off i one. find it interesting yeah. i find it interesting and it gives good insight into the scene right and how teams are doing and which teams are the ones that are more mentally weak oh, man, or i've got a point on that i want to bring up with you because you you know this from overwatch and league this is one of the maddest strawmans i've ever seen right you know we have famously we're the ones who coined the whole scrim box thing we've always mocked people who only go on about when we're amazing scrims right people are so dumb Mitch, richard made this point of video is so right the most annoying shit online is that because the coolest thing you can do in an argument is gotcha the other person but like legit Dude, all these morons who don't even have the brain capacity to gotcha just attempt to do it all the time. So they'll just come and go like, ha, you yeah, I thought you didn't care about scrims. It's like, no, no, in the context of I don't think scrims make you better, I don't care. But one thing, this is a straw man that'll blow your mind when you hear this. It's a real consensus take because it's all cause people hate vitality. Are you ready? They go, who cares? There's always bad teams winning all the scrims. Like, pause. <laughs> That's a complete fucking fantasy. You know, when we talk about scrim books, we're usually talking about like when like the fourth best team is like secretly the best in scrims, right? There's right. never ever in the history of League of Legends, Monty, been like a 10th place team in like LCK or LEC who secretly is winning like 90% of scrims. Like actually that information about Vitality, that right till the end, they were winning more scrims against G2 Fnatic and everyone actually does imply there's more to the story than whatever's happening in the official games. That's actually really interesting info to know. It's not irrelevant. So yeah. I even believe that's a real consensus state that people are like there's always some team to smurf and script. There isn't. What are you talking mate? That might mean they're all cane scrims. There's never a team who's bad that's getting like 80% win rate. It just doesn't happen. It happened with FlyQuest this year. That's why FlyQuest was so fucking anomalous. That's me though. That's why they're not actually and by the way, at the end they weren't the worst team, were they? Spoiler, they weren't the 10th team. <laughs> it's true. Um but I, I, or something. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that that's why people really bought into FlyQuest this year, especially well, not this year, this split in summer is because the Scrimbucks pre the start of the summer split were fucking nuts on FlyQuest. The Scrimbucks were out of control. Um, and so that's why it was so weird that they were losing all their matches and were in last place or second to last place. Um, and it was also strange that they could never get it together and replicate the performance that they had in scrims. And it was even easier because we knew they were practicing a lot. We knew Vikla was number one on the solo queue ladder. Like th this is the FlyQuest anomaly this year was truly remarkable. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in League of Legends ever until this point where you might not, as your, to your point, Thorne, you might not have the best team, but you might have all the scrim bucks, but you're very rarely the team with the most scrim bucks and the worst team, or That's even what, in the bottom three. This is the three. exception that proves the rule, though. Yeah. And it's why people didn't give up on them until almost the bitter end, because you're just yes. thinking, like, Vitality, surely it's going to kick in eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's It was it was a very weird problem. Um, and was unique, I think, in terms of League of Legends history to have both FlyQuest and Vitality, who we both knew were both doing very well in scrims, have these unfortunate results so um we should probably uh talk about a different a different go a different direction here because i i mentioned this on the monty and wolf show when i realized kind of what was what was happening with a lot of these with a lot of these uh lck teams which is that there is going to be a crazy number of players that are free agents in this offseason and that is going to coincide with the new kind of what is it S SRF uh, the oh SFR the sporting financial regulations, um, which does seem just to be. This, by the way, y'all can actually miss me. You know what the esports industry, their version of like the good morning tweet is when people just do the same debates years after years. Like, you know when Slasher would be like, right, I think we should have surnames as the names, and like the same boring topics, right? One of the worst ones ever is when everyone goes, well, everyone stop comparing it to sports. Then esports industry, uh, call it the sporting financial rules. Like they can't help themselves, mate. They're all the ones doing it. You're the ones who keep doing it, guys. Can we all get in the Olympics? And why would you compare this to a sport? Like, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, there are teams that that do have players that are contracted beyond this so faker notably is contracted through 2025 through the end of 2025 so it's not that they couldn't actually make some of these contracts work there were just a lot of players that were going to come up at the end of their deals including players that did have multi-year deals going into this one like chovy and peanut um uh, but this this is all to say this LCK offseason is going to be absolutely wild because here is a... Is there a list somewhere of all the names? There's not a definitive... You, you have to look at everyone. So this is a non-definitive list, guys. Non-definitive list. But here are some of the big names that are going to be free agents. Chovy, Peanut, Doran, Delight, Zekka, Canyon, Showmaker, Viper, uh, Aiming, Lahens, Keen, Gumayushi, Karia, Zayas, Deft. All free agents. 
All I mean, the them. joke there, unironically, is you can not only make an LCK champ, you can actually make a world champion out of like, you could probably make two lineups out of that, that are like world champions, man. <laughs> like, think about it. Like, literally, if I just take those players alone, right, I can already, if I want to do something like, I could just have like fucking Canyon, Chovy, and Viper all in one team. There's one. They're just That's just one call for you. You can fill in the other two players. Then I can have like Keen, fucking Zeka, and Aiming. Like, already there's another one. Just fill that one out. You know, like, me, you can actually make some banger lineups. Actually, I, I really hope, but in mind, most of the time in LCK, particularly LCK, you tend to only go over to LPL. You don't do massive moves between teams very often. You stay in the same core. This might be the only time ever you get a complete reshuffle of LCK. Yeah, BDD is contracted, um, you know, to 2024. So, you know, he he won't be moving on KT. But it is crazy. And it, it's seeming like the... I'm, I'm, I don't think... It's the most interesting to me, though, because there's so many different teams you could put him in that'd be really interesting to me. I think Chovy is quite loyal to Gen G because he did reject other offers in order to join Gen G. And I know that the environment on Gen G and, and the treatment he receives there was has been quite important to him. So he may end up sticking around. But the new the new regulations, I don't know if they've actually settled on what the dollar value is, which, which if you exceed it, you will start paying the luxury tax. So what the, the dollar value of the soft cap is, but I've heard it's probably going to be between four and $5 million a year. Um, I still think they're hashing that out and it, it may not have been entirely settled yet, but you know, that's still quite a lot of money uh, for a league of legends roster. But to assemble super teams with a budget of four to five million might be rather challenging unless players are willing to take a pay cut in order to be on those teams or a team really wants to spend a lot of money. Like there's nothing preventing, uh, especially the big corporate teams like Hanwha and KT and T1 spending more money than the cap and, and you know, having that having that. Um, you know, paying the luxury tax. Also, you know, what's interesting about this, Thorin, is that contracts uh, that are were negotiated before the cap are exempted. I think they only count, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, pretty sure they only count at like 20% of their value as far as uh, the cap hit goes. So it's interesting that there are so many players that are coming out of contract at this time because if a team wanted to pay the premium, and retain these players or they had a multi-year deal, it wouldn't necessarily count against their, you know, Basically, luxury this is cap the season to make a super team if you're going to do it. Yes. But it's also potentially the most expensive season to yeah, make a super sure. team. Or, remember, you know, it's going to be the LPLs around some of these of fucking course. players as well going on. And, and if, LCS, this, if these obviously. rules are going to apply now, I actually imagine this is the feeding frenzy off season then. Yeah. I just want to put this in people's minds right now because this, this amount of talent that you are going to see on auction in LCK is very rare to have all of these people come up at exactly the same time when it comes to their contracts. And, you know, but some you of you the... think how pivotal some of these names are like, mate, Canyon and Showmaker are damn one. Like what, what's damn yes. one if they leave? Like just an OK org again. Like they'd be like Hanwha Life or something, wouldn't they? Yeah. And you'd have to think that maybe there is a world where some of the bigger teams are going to want one of those players. The question is, do they split those players up who've been playing together virtually their entire career um, and have that, you know, built-in synergy? Do they want to go to the same team together? But, you know... Uh, I say, if I'm making these lineups, if I'm Chovy, I'm just calling fucking Canyon, like, stop playing with that fucking bum showmaker and come and get with the king. Exactly. I don't know. Like I, think, I think Peanut's very important to Chovy's success. Uh, so... 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure Trilby would look better. By, no, by definition, with... Monty, you are absolutely right. If it wasn't for Peanut in Game Fives, Trilby's success would be very <laughs> different in his career. Oh come on! It's, it's, it's not that. It's not that Trilby himself. He's been the most influential player on Trilby's success the last Chovy, few years. Trilby turned into a pumpkin at the last <laughs> World Championship. Trilby reverted to his kind of pre-Peanut form. Peanut has actually leveled up Trilby in terms of his macro awareness uh, significantly. Well, in that case, you know what, Monty? I don't want this fucking. Brilliant peanut to be labored with Chovy anymore. I think he should go and play with BDD and I'll take Canyon, just shit your Canyon. I think he won a title in years, money. I'll take little old Canyon in with me and Chovy and Viper and you all can just fuck off with whoever you want. You can take whoever players you want, me. I'll have Keen, Chovy, Canyon and Viper. You can pick the support. I don't even mind me. I'm not greedy. I just want a few good pieces. Well, Hens will be a free agent too, so there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it is... It is going to be wild. Um, and I do think a lot of these players are going to stay in Korea. It's not like, you know, these players are going to be on small contracts. The best players are still going to be on seven-figure deals. Uh, it's just a matter of who wants to pay for them and if teams want to splash out for potential uh, luxury taxes, which, you know, I don't think really Hanwha or T1 or KT will mind all of that much, all that much. Um, the crazy thing is that this roster with T1 is going to be coming apart because owner has a contract through 2024, faker through 2025, but the other three players are up at the end of this year. And the market for players like Zayas and Caria, who have shown such high peaks, and Gubayushi, who's been incredibly consistent this year, it's going to be pretty crazy. Here's the problem, especially in light of all the shit that's going on now with fakeaways coming back and they're going to maybe turn it around. But it's so clear that like the roster hasn't really functioned without faker. That means you are now in probably the worst off season ever if you're T1. Because do you keep this core and try and make it work again? But you know that the day faker ever stops playing, it's potentially scuffed lineup. Or do you actually do like, look, if you're going to do the actual NFL move, Monty, they should actually just scrap the core of T1 and say, we try and get like a trophy or a showmaker or a canyon we should go for the big names we're team one like the, we're, a, we're a destination people want to go to but if you do that you are sort of throwing away what you did for the last two years in the bin unless as you say maybe you can get market but maybe someone really does want Kerry and Zayas and they'll pay above the board price you know I mean the real losers in all of this are Kerry Gumayushi and Zayas who apparently can't play League of Legends on, in a macro or strategic sense without Faker does the value of their contracts suddenly depreciate significantly because we've seen what happens when Faker isn't there to mind control them in with shot calling in the game basically Monty if, this is a skit you should do for the Monty and Wolf show it should be the skit like you're selling like the old gear from the 80s the toys and it's like Faker sold separately because obviously the joke is <laughs> like, without the Faker shit isn't it that's like not having a game in the Nintendo on Christmas, like, yeah, thanks for the snares, Grandma, but where's the fucking game, bitch? There's no games in this shit. I don't even built in. It's not like a Sega Mega Drive or whatever. <laughs> not from real history there, right? That's just it's more, it's more. I think the better analogy Mario. is it's more like getting the uh, the Super Mario game cartridge, but not actually owning the machine to play it on, right? Okay. It's like you know the pieces are there, but you have no way to operate the damn thing, right? It's like this is a good game, I know it is, but I don't have the thing that allows me to literally play the game of League of Legends, which is Faker's Mind, apparently. I haven't seen the games yet because uh, they happened last night, and we're recording this first thing in the morning for me, but T1 uh, won two games in 23 minutes against Guangdong Freaks the first time Faker was back. So here we go again. It must be just that easy to slot him into this roster and at least get some a modicum of shot calling back within this team. So... 
All I'll say for T1 is at least Faker is contracted. The thing is, are other players going to want to go to T1 when they know that Faker is the definitive king of this of this organization, right? Do they want to play Faker's game and listen to Faker at all times? Because he is the he is the de facto coach of this team as well. And for veteran players, that may not be a very exciting possibility if they want to play the game a certain way themselves. Because they're always, you know, T1's always going to side with Faker. You Basically, I mean? Faker is the Senate. <laughs> so, if you understand the reference, they understand the reference. <laughs> the thing is, though, when I actually do look at that list of names, my actual real hope is not any specific combination of players. What I really hope is this, that if most of those names end up staying within LCK, that they just make better, like, actual lineups. Like, even right now, the LCK has the same problem a lot of regions do, which is, like, you have good players who are just, like, on not that great lineups, and you could just make so many better lineups. Like, if you actually put all the talent together, dude, imagine, like, the top five you could make in the LCK. It could be really fucking sick. Because obviously stylistically you'd pair people. Like I think you could have some amazing lineups. Like the the strength of LCK being worse, it, it's more stylistic things, not the players. It's the amazing players in LCK. Yeah, there are there are a lot of really good players. I think the GMing in Korea is quite poor. Uh I think the players oftentimes have too much of a say in who gets onto these right. rosters. Um as opposed to make it, you know, with their friends, as opposed to making rosters that make a lot of sense. Um, but also, you know, teams have not always been able to get their first choice. And so what happens is sometimes teams are heavily pursuing one player, that contract fails, falls through, and they're forced to go to like their fourth choice at that role because they've all in then this one player in this position, which makes the rosters really weird when it comes to glaring flaws and also because lck teams have been historically reluctant to make roster swaps either mid split or in between spring and summer um they haven't been able to fix a lot of these problems either uh and you know the problem with hanwha life with clid probably wouldn't have been fixed unless there was out of game issues uh and now we're seeing an improvement with them especially through the jungle rule so i think i think the these issues are the are a lot of times the way that the budgets are laid out and the contracts that are written where it's difficult to get rid of players or or teams don't want to continue to pay out that contract even if they could make a potential upgrade at the role and that does weaken the region as time goes on because the reality of League of Legends as a game is that when you assemble rosters in November, you just have no idea what the meta or patch is going to be next year because Riot hasn't completed their changes. So you're basically GMing in the dark. If you pick one kind of jungler and they change the jungle for the 30th time in this game's history, you might end up with a ganking jungler in a farm jungle meta. And the only time you can make an adjustment is between spring and summer to your roster. And also... Just as an aside, back to the LEC format, one of the best best things that the LEC format has allowed teams to do is to aggressively change rosters more frequently. Look at all the changes that happened with Vitality and Excel over the course of this year. If you were running two splits still, we wouldn't have been able to see this many roster adjustments uh, within the league, which eventually enabled Excel to make top two, right? So... I think, you know, the more breaks you have, it makes it more of a counter-strike system where teams are able to change rosters in between tournaments. And that that uh, period of adjustment means that there's there's something constantly to be excited for as a fan because you want to see how the new roster does. And it makes it so teams are not locked into losing for extended periods of time. They can at least try and improve. I've just looked it up now. And there's a piece of information. I looked up another player that's available at the end of this year with his contract. 
And so let me just, did you say Le Hens is available as well? He yeah, is. yeah. Right, well, here's the lineup I would make for 2024. Are you ready? There's one yeah. position I'm not going to fill. You guys can fill it. The top laner of this team is anyone who just plays tanks. That's it. You can pick who it is. Pick any LCK Korean player. The rest of the team goes like this, Monty. I've looked it up. It's all correct. I'm going to take Tarzan Jungle. I'm going to take Chovy mid lane. <laughs> don't try and preempt me. You don't know where I'm going with this. I'm going to take Viper as my AD carry. I'm going to take Lehens as my support. And you know what? You're not going to believe this. For coach, I'm going to take CV Max from uh, CDF, KDF. So basically, in spoiler, essentially, I'm actually making a no swords club. It's Griffin again. But now, because it's 2024, mate, that line of actually looks sick now. That actually looks fire now. 2024 that looks fucking sick i mean you could also take keen and just force him to play tanks because i don't think he cares he's yeah, been he totally win. fine yeah everything. <laughs> that, that's by the way, that's how you know what an insane set of talent that griffin team was dude in 2024 that would be a good lineup like for real like that except for maybe lens the, there's not even any memes the, on that team like the fucking the mega. griffin reunion yeah <laughs> That's I'm that, into it. The sad thing is, when you go back and look at it, obviously people know Griffin never won any titles, right? Even Dan won. They won like three titles in Worlds. That's it. Like, those two cores had the potential to do everything. Like, when they both came up, they looked like they were like the new fucking SKT. Like, they were just going to rule for years. But it just, it's why I actually do think a take that people... It's a mad underrated take, this, but I think it's legit as fuck, mate. I actually think the history of League of Legends for Korean League of Legends players is ruined by Faker. Because you know how in basketball, almost every, like, discussion about a star player is ruined because Michael Jordan never lost the finals. So now if you lose one finals, they treat you like you're a bomb in basketball. Well, Michael Jordan didn't lose. Well, because of Faker, right, being so clutch for all those first like four or five years it means that everyone just assumes all koreans are mega clutch whereas actually they're not dude like they have the same amount of problems everyone does. like we just had a discussion about peanut earlier it took him fucking years to get legit in those scenarios you think about some of the people in teams like griffin like dude they used to be in the finals every split and still not win like it's actually it's one of the most overrated things i think what people may, mistook was this faker is mega clutch and then in general fakers teams take on that quite it's actually why this era of fakers teams not being clutch is also so sad it shows that he doesn't have the like potency as an individual star to sort of carry you over the moments when people shit the bed or whatever, you know? Yeah. Because you can easily argue, by the way, if you don't, if people don't know, I actually think as history's progressed, I think some of those SKT teams have, have been mega overrated, the ones that won Worlds. Like, though, except for the season three one. Dude, the season five and season six one, like, first of all, they're sometimes not even the best team. Like, they just win the tournament. And then the secondly, they're definitely not the best player at every position. They're more just like a really nice like, identity. They play the same style. They can come from behind. Like, if you actually look at the modern-day SKT, dude, the SKT of the last two years is a really fucking skilled lineup. Like, there's, there's some really insane players on It just yeah. hasn't had the results. It just shows how it, teams are more than some of their parts. Or less and, sometimes. And the entire narrative on SKT would have changed if they had just won MSI or Worlds. Oh, just, one sure. yes. just one of them. Just one of them. Just one. Yeah. They only had to win one. And this would we would be talking about this team entirely differently. Instead, they are now the the choker roster, right? Instead of instead of yep. a it, literally if they win one international tournament, one of the two MSIs or worlds last year, they go from being the choker team into being a team that has made all these consecutive finals and is a success. I always say it like this, because if you notice in Counter-Strike, we've had some of the best examples as ever. If people don't know, people like Device and Carrigan were the ultimate chokers, and now they're some of the most decorated players ever for winning the biggest tournaments. Like, what I've found is this, there's two aspects to it that fuck you if you keep having like you're talking about, is... 
once you have a bunch of early times that you chalk and you lose, it gets in your heads next time. So now you're thinking, and then even worse, eventually when you've done it more than a couple of times, your opponent knows you're going to chalk as well. So he's just even waiting. And it's almost like in the battle, even if he's losing, he knows that if I just hang around, he's going to give me a chance back in this game. It's the opposite. Like you're saying, if you just win one of them early, that sort of breaks the sort of like the dock, as it were, like the, the bad, the rot that you were stuck in. All of a sudden, your opponent doesn't think, oh, have you just won the last championship? You wouldn't think that way. But you yourself think, well, I've come through it before. Because if you don't know, guys, the two examples I gave from Counter-Strike there, it went the other way around. Like, Carrigan now makes all the amazing calls at the end of the game because he just won so much. Device became one of the most clutch players at the majors. Like, you can actually completely 180 the narrative because, like I say, it applies to you yourself. But then also, like, people treat you differently because of how it went in the past. Because to me, the obvious one is that MSI one. If they just won that bullshit MSI with the RNG shit with online and stuff... No one would have had this conversation anymore. It's because they lost that one. Mate, once they got to like game five against DRX, you already knew it was possible. Even though on paper they should still win, you were just like, oh, bloody hell, is this going to happen again? Is this going to happen <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah. And, and DRX actually also proved, by the way, even being clutch can be overrated because they were mega clutch in that world, but they were still one of the worst teams to ever win. <laughs> yeah, that, they, they certainly were. I mean, arguably out side of Fnatic we don't count you know the worst team to ever win I I, I the Samsung team was pretty bad too but anyway <laughs> the joke is that team's only gonna look better because it has ruler on now like that re that really was not that great a lineup that team no that's why the real ones who did blow that were like Longju RNG like these are the teams <laughs> that should have won that tournament yeah uh the yeah I I think I think also when we talk about the clutch factor versus the choking factor, it's it is such a psychological edge for the opponent that you're playing against as well. Because even if you are crushing them in the early game, or the, you're up to you know they're up two games to zero, a lot of teams would just mentally give up at that point in time. But the fact that you have lost all these finals now gives your opponent you know insane hope and like a fight you know they'll fight to the last if they know that you are have this reputation as a choker whereas if you have a reputation that you just close people the fuck out and destroy them you know people mentally give up in that situation it's like it's over at this point in time and that psychology is hugely important to the way that teams play these games and the way they approach big matches right there's an and analogy that kenny smith on inside the nba used to say which perfectly explains this monty he said when you're really young the way you know when you finally crossed over and all the other players think you're old and watched he said when you're young and you like steal the ball from someone because you've just got a breakaway you look behind you for a second and then there's a million miles behind you, you just slam the ball easily he said when you're old when you steal the ball you look behind you the guy's just like this it's like, because he knows he can catch you, like he can just run you down that way. It's the same shit, exactly like you're saying. Like, if they if they know you choke, but even they're just thinking, like, just hang in there, give, yep. give ourselves a chance. Whereas if you just close them out, that's like you're intimidating. You think people actually play worse against that, if anything. But I've got a question for you, though. In light of all, right. all those players there, who would you want to see go to a specific team or who would you want to see team up? So remember, you almost have like a smorgasbord of all, all the great oh players of the last God. four or five years. So who, who would you want to, like what combos, like I've did the Canyon Chovy ones, which never had that before. What what would be like an interesting combo for you? Or who do you want to see play together? Um, so I got to take my, my guy Keen, just because he's so versatile at this point in time that he can do anything. It's like, you know, 369 is playing mostly tanks right now, even though 
he certainly can play other things because he's fitting to the team identity of JDG and he knows his role within the team. So regardless of meta, I would be confident that Keen could kind of take the reins. Would love to see Viper on that team. Get Viper a good fucking team again, please. Um, I would, you know, either Lehens or Delight. I think they're both performing extremely well right now. If you pair those guys with Viper, I think there is going to be a really good opportunity for success. I also might be low-key interested in seeing Caria, uh, seeing Caria with Viper. Um, that could be really fascinating from a meta perspective. Yeah, Caria hasn't been very good recently, but we saw his heights earlier this year in the spring. And I think mostly that's a motivation issue for Caria rather than that he is bad. He's mechanically excellent. Um, so I, I'll, I'll take the Caria-Viper combo. And with Keen, then you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm taking I'm taking Peanut and Chovy together because you need shot calling on this team, and Peanut at least will provide that. You have enough other star power that if Peanut does his job of pathing super well early and having that uh, having that synergy with Chovy, I'll just keep that rolling. So there you go, Keen Peanut Chovy Viper Caria. Okay, there's a banger. There's a banger. I've got I've got one for you. Mine also does work. I looked it up online. I double checked that it will actually be right in terms of all the availability. So what I would do is I would make a team of these players. I'll do the, I'll just do some of them first for like the free agents so then we can get to it right. So in top lane, I would have Keen as well. He's an amazing player, probably the best in the world. I'd have Canyon because he's just a beast at jungle. He can just define the whole team. I would have Kerry as my support. He was maybe the best player in the world. He's revolutionized support. And then what I'd do is for mid lane, I would have Froggen and then I would have upset for AD Carrying. Now here's the thing, for the Korean players, that really sucks because I've ruined the team for you there. But this is just my team. I'm making for my own pleasure, and they're all available. Upsets contract ends at the end of the year, so that's a team I would make. Yeah. Drag frog and out of retirement. Yeah. Look, I can't lie. There would be a moment where the Koreans came to me and threw a translator, so clearly broken English. Semi, but but why though? Can't we just have Chovy? I'll be like, listen, it's a whole thing. I'll get into it later when we win worlds. <laughs> Also, I'd just love to see a thing where they're like, but Froggen, is he even good? Like, shut your fucking bitch mouth. He almost won an OGN when you were four years old. How dare you, Canyon? Or whoever the fuck would say that. Almost did. Almost did win OGN, guys. Almost. Almost. Uh, um, yeah. So, LTK offseason, definitely going to be a banger. We will be keeping our eyes on that, guys, as it unfolds uh, in the in the post-worlds landscape. We are going to actually have a, a lot of uh, a lot more summoning insight in the off season this year. Turns out uh, we we have some sponsors, new sponsors that uh, want this content. So congrats to you guys. Uh, this show will never die. It will just keep going week after week throughout the off season this year, all the way to the end. So we'll There's do some so more many things we can do. Like here's the thing. I was even thinking about this recently. I told I won't mention who, but I've, obviously I was telling you recently, like when I did an interview where someone was talking about a lot of meta stuff, I really, we should even do some deep dive old episodes like that. Like we should literally yep. do an episode for real. That's like a round table about when there was like the fucking lane swap meta. Like modern fans aren't sure. even going to get what it is, Monty. Remember in the modern day, anyone who watched League of Legends after season nine doesn't even know what the game's like when you don't have to just go to the dragon all the time like it would actually <laughs> probably really interesting to them like if we had the ls or something wouldn't that be a fucking bang around table you know yeah that'd be that'd be really fun um i i think yeah i think we'll we'll come up with some good ideas for the off season you guys you know in the world of esports winter last free nation is the, one of the only warm places we continue to get new sponsors onboarding so thanks for supporting those sponsors in Again, the esports really winter we're the stocks that's all we need to <laughs> <laughs> the lattice 
<laughs> we're just sitting in our castle in the north warm while the while the wor- world burns around us <laughs> yeah just let them all fight it out in a bloodbath down south right we'll just we'll just Obviously. hold up Obviously, evil geniuses can just be fucking Daenerys Targaryen in it, just fucking killing everyone, just ruining every all, just woman out of control. There you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, we will we will make more of that kind of content uh, during the off season. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm very excited to see how this plays out. How many of these players end up going to other regions as opposed to staying in the LCK? I don't think there's a lot of cause to panic because I think most of these players are going to stay in LCK at the end of the day. The thing is, though, like I say, if the, if they're going to apply all those rules, if you are the LPL, this is the time to go hard as fuck at any of these players. Like, if you want Viper back or something, or Trophy, this is the when you go hard as a motherfucker. Sure, but the, the LPL also has the same luxury tax, right? So, yeah, I mean, but they're the going to be... The... They have actual billionaires who might be willing to pay it, whereas true. the Korean team, like, <laughs> they might pay it for a super team, but they're not going to be as frivolous, you imagine, you know? Sure, sure. Um, Yeah. So interesting times ahead for the LCK. Like that story you told on that past episode about JDG, the amount they are spending, like that is actually 16 million. <laughs> like, look, yeah. it's a one time ever it was worth it. Like the team, it does look like it could be the best team ever, but holy shit, that is a lot of money. I mean, they, they've been looking amazing, right? They certainly put, we can get, talk about them right now. They put BLG in their place once again, very easy series. Um, the LNG series was a bit more complicated, but they also had a bad day. A very bad day. It was, it was JDG's like very almost, bad day. <laughs> I really wonder on that one, by the way, mate, if in the first games, if they, if I, this is what I wonder, because I think JDG probably is one of the best scrim teams, if I had to guess. That almost looked like they thought they could just fuck around in the first drafts, mate. Like, they looked like they came into that series with a really weird approach, because by the end, they were just the better team. But, like, they almost did throw that early on. So there, there are a couple things uh, about, about JDG. We had seen glimmers of this, especially in spring, but Kanavi can have bad games. That was one of their principal weaknesses when they were losing series in spring, um, was that Kanavi would be kind of dunked on by the enemy jungler. I mean, we saw him just have some frightfully bad games against EDG at times, and JJ was just like putting him in the dumpster. Um, and so he, the, the bad version of Kanavi came out in this series in a big way. And it's difficult to play against LNG because the Tarzan, the Tarzan scout synergy is just unreal, right? I mean, this team is very, very good at playing around the mid lane and getting skirmish wins and getting advantages out of the jungle in mid positions. So that was one of the factors. Uh, another factor was, honestly, Zika has been really good in these playoffs. Yeah. I, 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 have been, I have been hyping up Zika for some time, not because I think he's the flashiest or these, he's the biggest carry top laner within the LPL, but because his floor is so high. He's just incredibly consistent as a player. I mean, look, and they set him up to try and fucking carry in some of these They games. did. Yeah, I mean, they did. They, the LNG tried a very interesting strategy versus JDG, which is that you know 369 is mostly going to prioritize tanks because JDG has a very functional strategy that is working yes. right now ruler is arguably the best player in the world at this point in time he is fucking amazing and so if you have a player like ruler who is so good why would you not just play your role as the front line and enable ruler to pop off and win you the game which he frequently does and also knight clearly no 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 slouch right and so if you know that jdg it's not that 369 is incapable of playing a jacks it's that 
he is the best top lane Gragas in the world, and he's also really the only one playing it in this meta, in spite of the fact that it does have favorable matchups, notably into some of these carries, like Jax, right? Um, and he can get, I mean, the, the nature of Gragas is that he can get through a variety of different, um, you know, lane matchups just fine, because he's very durable, um, with his drunken rage, and he also has ways of farming from a distance, and he has good escapability with his body slam from the top lane. Also, you know, very good at ganking, especially post six when he has his ult, you know, getting ganked for him rather. And he's very hard to dive. So there's a lot of reasons why he's a, just a really good weak side uh, top laner. And on top of that, um, because there's so many a AD mids right now, um, it means that you don't necessarily have to have your AP either coming from a Kaisa in the bot lane or from your jungler, you know, you where you might be playing, you know, a Lilia or a Maokai with Demonic Embrace, right? And so it means that you have more versatility when playing your AD mid laners like Tristana or Jace, uh, and then you can kind of have a little bit more freedom in your jungle picks, you know, Ivern would be another kind of AP um another AP jungler, depending on how you build him, obviously. Um, and so you get that AP damage out of the top lane instead, which does have value to mixing up your damage type within a composition, which is obviously necessary to make it more difficult for the enemy team to itemize. Uh, so there's there, there, there are all these factors, but back to JDG versus LNG, I mean, Zika was trying to big dick him playing Fiora, which is really... It was fun, and he was getting leads, and it was successful, and arguably JDG, you know, the best game of that series was game two, and yes. arguably LNG should have won that game. You know, they had every advantage. You also got to see the flaws of LNG, and the flaws of LNG are they don't always play out their team compositions win conditions very well. You know, they got into fights instead of with four, four players instead of allowing Zika to take his advantages and, and create split push pressure so they get drawn in sometimes in the mid and late game and they aren't patient and that is a very big flaw with them so the complaint would be you know why play the fiora if you're not going to play the fiora properly but they seem to stumble but the other side of that is jdg is also extremely good at playing from deficits extremely good and if you the, the jdg is such a good team that if you give them one opportunity back into the game, they just win. So you have to play almost flawlessly against the way, them. And that's like what I was discussing earlier, because that's another example of what we were talking about with the choking slash being clutch example. It, JDG themselves, because remember, they've never lost a best of five this year. They have that insane confidence they can always win every game, even without the tools in behind in the game. But so does their opponent. That's the worst thing. Their opponent knows. Like, it's just, an, it's like the old SKT. If they're if you're only a few K ahead, yeah. you're just even. You don't even feel like you're yeah, actually... That's the 2015 ahead. SKT, right? Just like you saw at MSI, it's mind-fucking you, because you're thinking to yourself, like, but I should really want to take this fight against them. Like, I'm actually ahead. And it's like, you're not, though, because remember, here's the other problem. It's not just those champions you're playing. You are playing Knight and fucking Joe and, and fucking Viper and 360. You're playing the most cracked-out players there are. Here's a stat and a half for you. I looked up right now, Monty. Over the summer season and the playoffs, Viper, uh, sorry, not Viper, a uh, Ruler. Ruler. Ruler is 16-1 and one on Zaya. Yep. That's I mean, he's crazy on that insane, 
It, it, I mean, this, that's the nightmare right there. That's why you can't beat JDG, by the way, because they've already got all these other amazing players at pretty much every role. And in every team fight, you're trying to, it's like old school reckless. You're just trying to reach towards this fucking side, like, please. And you can never get there. And he's just killing you with all the feathers 24 seven. Like, that's a nightmare, mate. Like, that, that's going to be so, because think about it, right? The ultimate player, if you can protect him to carry every game, is the ADC. If you have like the final boss ADC that's powering up, that's the other reason, Monty, why even if you get like a lead in top lane, you don't feel like you can actually win the game yet because the final boss is waiting. When that team fight comes, Ruler's going to be there. And if he has any fucking CS and items, you're in a really hard spot. So it's why this team, I actually find it really satisfying to watch. Like I told you, like on the competitive edge episode, mate, any team that can fight from behind is probably the most compelling teams to watch in league. And yes. they're the best teams of all time. Like those yes. are the squads you think of that are truly great. They can always come back from the 3K deficit, like a dragon back and stuff. That's the best to watch. Right. And mega entertaining. And, you know, it, it varies year to year, but historically in League of Legends, I would imagine this would be an interesting exercise if anybody wants to do it. Uh, I will not be doing it, but if anybody, if any of the fans want to do it, here's an interesting exercise for you. Take all of the games in the history of League of Legends and see how, in a competitive League of Legends, and see what percentage of teams win if they have a gold lead at 15 minutes. It's probably 70 to 75%. It changes season to season, um, but it is a huge, huge, huge indicator of which team is going to win. So to when you make that point, Thorin, that when you have a team that can come from behind, if they're at a gold deficit at 15 minutes, it flips the entire script of the how this game operates and that's why it is so key because when they're ahead they they still have that win rate right they still win but if you can reach a 50 percent win rate when you're behind at 15 minutes that is huge that is a huge boost uh in terms of what you should be able to accomplish and jdg is just one of those teams and when we talk about ruler here's oh, a, way, a quick aside i can even tell you when i did an interview with i think it might have been let me think. I think it was Sven I did the AD carry on our support of Cloud9. He even said, Monty, that used to be what all the Western teams said about T1 back then. They said, even if you like won game two or you were ahead in a game, you never actually felt like you were going to win the series because right. you just felt like, nah, they're going to come, they're going to win a big yes. team fight later or they're going to get a lead somewhere and fight back. They actually said, like, that was like in the back of everyone's head. That's why they say it wasn't for real until the season eight, season nine, where it's not just that people beat them. People even believed you could beat them then, like, holy shit, you can actually win these games against them like that was the fucking like paradigm shift apparently yeah I, I think it totally makes sense and you know here's a fun game you guys can play when you watch ruler in some of these games if you want to see how good he is what see how see how long he waits either to use his Zaya ultimate or his summoner spells just see oh, he's probably got the best summoner economy of anyone maybe ever me he's unreal it is wild it is wild he will be frontlining on Zaya. And he will play it basically perfectly. You can watch some of these LPL games where he's kiting into choke points, uses his ult, gets five-man roots on the enemy team, and will leave some of these team fights without even blowing a summoner spell. It's why teams get so desperate to try and kill him. Because so much of the modern metagame in League of Legends is based around summoner and ultimate cooldowns and finding those windows. But he will not pop his summoners in the neutral game. And so... For basically every objective, he's got his summoners up. He's got his ultimate up, unless something very weird has happened. And then he will use them perfectly to fuck you up. He knows all of your ability cooldowns. He knows exactly how far forward he can position. He knows how to squeeze every last drop of, of damage out of a team fight. It is amazing.
It's amazing to watch him play right now. That's also, by the way, the interesting thing to me about League of Legends this year. Dude, this year really is all about ADC. It just has been from the beginning to the end. Yep. Like, I think about all those other years where, like I pointed out, like basically the history of LPL winning Worlds is just a Korean mid lane and won Worlds. We just played for an LPL team. If you look, that's also why the LPL is scary as fuck. Because think about this, right? If just the, f the four teams who made the top four of the LPL went, you would be sending Ruler, Elk, Gala, and Jackie Love as your fucking ADC. <laughs> yep. That's already fucking scary. No one could compete with that, mate. No one could compete with that. That's unbelievable. I do think, at least in the LCK, the ADC is the deepest position at the moment. Like, it is actually hard to narrow it down to the top three AD carries. I think there's like, there's, there are a lot of compelling reasons that you would talk about Deft, Viper, um, Dumiyushi, Pays, and Aiming. So, those five, they are more or less interchangeable depending on what you think is the most important aspect of an ADC, right? Some of them are higher resources, like aiming is super high resources, but he also wins lane very frequently, like his laning stats are often the best. And but he also is probably, you know, he's one of the highest economy AD carries, but he also provides some of the most damage. Deft has had perhaps worse laning stats, but is still super good in team fights. Viper plays without a jungler, basically. So God only knows what he could do with a few ganks or without inting in his lane, as he's had for most of this year with a better support than than life. But he still delivers massively in terms of, of late game damage output and team fighting potential. Uh, Gumiyushi has been the best player on a bad T1 team this split. Um, who else? Pays, Pays has done his job wonderfully uh within gen g he doesn't have the hardest job on that roster considering that they are all very quality players especially when it comes to team fighting you know doran is great in team fights his laning is is oftentimes what the problem is and peanut often is very good at getting advantages for his lane uh for his lanes through better pathing and and kind of coverage um so and also peanut also peanut also plays a lot more carry junglers like Kha'Zix, which relieves some of the carry burden um, that players like Pays might have. So there there's there's a lot of nuance, I think, to ranking the ADCs in Korea right now. And probably any of the four teams that will be going to Worlds from Korea will also have absolutely banger ADC players. And by the way, this is how I know I have lived to see everything in esports now. Because if you watch the LPL playoffs. Right. If you haven't been watching the LPL in a few years, you're going to be so off the pace for who Jackie Love is. It's mental because you're still <laughs> going to think it's the guy who wins the game. The joke is he's now the one getting in it with Rookie. Like I actually want to see if he ever did sit down with Rookie and go, go like the shy used to and go Rookie. Oh, it fucking sucks because we're playing awesome. But some guy in another lane, it's wayward now, by the way. Some guy in another lane's just inting us and we can't possibly win. And then Rookie just looking at him like, really, bro? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, saying to, you're saying that to me <laughs> are you fucking kidding you're talking about fucking two worlds like because people don't know jack love actually he's actually like he's been this game up it's fucking awesome yeah yeah he's been really I, good. I actually lucky hope they get the fourth spot i think top esports would be pretty cool at worlds too yeah top top would be great uh the the wayward slash top lane issue is troubling I mean, once you get to the upper echelons of LPL comp uh, competition, if you have a liability like Wayward, you just can't win. I mean, they've I mean, got the best top players in the world in that region. Yeah. I mean, t teams just exploit it all day. Teams yeah. are good enough to just strike at that weakness. And uh, Dom made a point that he thinks, you know, Wayward is being undersupported by the rest of the team. So it's not just that Wayward is bad, right. it's also the team is bad at playing around top lane. 
But regardless of what you think the reason is, you can't have that level of flaw. You can't have that level oh, of flaw. No. Um, and unfortunately, like, it, it sucks because Wayward was so hyped up last year. Then he, he had a pretty bad Worlds. Then he got replaced by Ching Tian. And then now he's back and he's never really recovered the form that he had in summer to summer playoffs of LPL last year. And that's a bummer because he looked like a really promising rookie player who has regressed to being mediocre on the low end of mediocre. And Top Esports hasn't found a, a substitute top laner that works effectively in all metas. Because um, while Ching Tian had very high highs, he also had a limited champion pool and some pretty low lows. So. You know, it's hard to justify, I think, keeping him within the the roster if if Wayward was going to perform. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's <clears throat> I think it's rough uh, right now for for top esports, even though Jackie Love has been really stepping up his game and has become pretty consistent throughout this split and especially in the playoffs as time has gone on. But they should they still should be a comfortable favorite to take the fourth seed from from China. All the other teams that they would be playing against are seriously flawed as well. It's only really the top three that I think are very, very good at the moment. And if anything, the big shock of this split has just been the BLG fucked up and didn't make the finals. It was right there. It was right there for them fucking. They played so bad in that series. I thought that was the problem. So that series, I haven't, I didn't, wasn't able to catch up on the LNG BLG series yet uh, from yesterday. So this I can't. Well, mate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I will watch it later, but I'm, I can't opine on that one. I can, I can only talk about the series they played against um, JDG, which again was underwhelming. But that just looks like JDG is in their heads, man. Like, I mean, they've been they so make, many times, man. They've, BLG, I think they've won some mad like four, four or five best of fives against money. <laughs> BLG just refuses to play fucking normally against jdg they either make stupid lane mistakes like they try and they get desperate in lane and then die and then that forces like the, look at the game three between these two teams so elk and on are like dying in the bot side then bin in the top lane is tp'ing down to take dragon and allowing three six three six nine to farm in the top side because they feel so desperate they're down oh two already oh my god we need to make a play down here in order to get some kind of an advantage back but they play scared and they play you know, they play overly aggressive. It's like, just play a fucking normal game of, of League of Legends and have some confidence in your own abilities, BLG. You don't have to go entirely desperate from minute one of a game and just throw. They they look so sloppy. Here's the saddest thing about the BLG story to me is this reminds me, I'll give you a Counter-Strike analogy. So in 2018 was the year when Astralis became the best CSGO team ever and they win everything, right? And famously... Team Liquid from North America was the second best team in the world. And they would always make the final and lose to Astralis. And the saddest thing I always used to say to the Team Liquid guys is everyone's going to get on your ass about the fact you don't beat Astralis. And I said, but the saddest thing really is, why does no one else ever fucking beat them for you when you can beat everyone else? So the problem if you're BLG is this. BLG might be the second best team in the world. They actually could win worlds. Their problem is they can't beat JDG. And at the moment, no one else can. So their problem <laughs> is they actually really need like fucking KT to turn out to be like beat him in the semis if that happens blg can win worlds the problem is if they have to actually just themselves beat jdg no one could do that right now <laughs> I guess the conundrum, right? yeah they'd fought because you yeah. know there are years where that obviously happens you know you don't actually have to be the best team it just depends on what the bracket is yeah. right and, and and having seen the previous lng blg series like i just don't think that 
or sorry, JDG LNG series. I don't think JDG performs that badly again against LNG. And I think, I think LNG pulls out all their tricks in that series. And now their tricks are known and JDG is just going to mop them up. Like, I think this is going to be a quite, as much as I love LNG, LNG is my favorite LPL team. Um, as much as I love LNG, I, even I have very little hope. I think this final is going to be a three Oh, just stomper for, for JDG. Um, you know, it's great to see Zika pick it up. I love watching Tarzan and Scout play together. It is one of my great pleasures in League of Legends right now. I love, I, unironically, I love watching Tarzan play Maokai. I think he's the best Maokai jungle player in the world. As stupid as it sounds, the way he min-maxes like saplings and fights and the way he uses his CC and ultimates, he's, he can absolutely hard carry on this champion. It's stupid because it's not that impressive mechanically of a champion to play. But for some reason, Tarzan's just way better at it in team fighting and positioning as well as ganks in the early game than anybody else. And it's, it's really fun to watch. Don't let him will be so hype if JDG just wins this final heavily. Like they'll have literally played in three double LM tournaments and lost zero series, wrecked everyone. What it all? Oh, they'll be this close to the Grand Slam. They'll just have worlds left, and then obviously, like all the players, a bunch of them haven't won worlds get ruler basically. So the other thing is, even if that doesn't happen, though, the one upside is this: if somehow LNG wins, mate, Scout's actual storyline is going to be <laughs> so bonkers. Like he might actually finally get the credit he deserves. If he somehow wins this. <laughs> I <laughs> offer double back-to-back fucking MVP year. Like that'll be impressive. That will be very impressive. I mean, the way Ellen... has some flawed plays in it. Come on. Yeah, the the way. Well, I, not really anymore. I would argue. I mean, since Gala came into this roster, the expectations for them have been high. Well, you're right? not supposed to be able to beat JDG. Look at their like they actually have like probably the greatest lineup ever. Sure, they're legit top two now in LPL. I mean, they beat they beat uh, they beat BLG. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that, I think this is definitely, I, I would say an overperformance, but we still expected them to be an elite team. They, they, they accidentally kind of got pretty far before losing to OMG in, in spring playoffs, um, in spite of having a pretty big liability in the bot lane and Zika not being potentially the big dick carry player that he is right now. So we've seen evolution from Zika in the top lane and then obviously getting Gala in a Kaisen meta is always a, a W, right? Like this huge improvement um, in terms of their potential performance. So, by the way, one thing I do love is that LPL still has a regional. And that regional, go look at the teams in there already. It's going to be a banger. It's going yeah. to be fucking sick. Yeah. It's like a mini playoffs oh. of its own, the best <laughs> of five series. It'll be good. It'll be good. And also those teams are kind of flawed that are in there, right? Outside of those top three teams. Uh, so it'll be interesting matchups, I think, in terms of shadow boxing and, and weaknesses and strengths that teams will be able to exploit. So it'll be an interesting, be an interesting. The thing that makes the LPL the most compelling to me is like, if you look at that regional, you look at the teams there, like obviously every one of them's flawed, like EDG, like the four, four guy can just fuck it up anytime he wants. Yep. Top has wayward, wayboard, like the shy can just lose any game he wants. But here's the thing. All of those teams have at least one or two carry players who they only have to win two series, by the way, they on one series. I think they can just fucking, they can win you a series, mate. They can just have a one pop off there and get you through. That's why it's going to be super compelling to me. It's also, at least when you look at EDG, as weak as Fofo has been, look, Uzi's not the same player he was, right? But Uzi has consistently been getting better, and who knows where Uzi's going to be in a, with a few more weeks of practice, right? Was he as good as the rest of the top ADC players in China over the course of this playoffs? No, he was not. But he's been improving, 
And if, you know, we know what the ceiling is, if magically he gets back there, EDG would have a real shot, I think. I also just think in general, like, EDG, this just shows how even when you win Worlds, people forget, like, the way we, the JJ guy was fucking sick when they won that Worlds. Everyone forget, he probably should have been the real MVP. Ali actually is like Ali's fucking, great. he's basically diet bin. He's just really fucking strong. He's really he's good right a bunch now. Of games. Mako's <laughs> one of the most legendary veteran decorated players of all time. Like, it's actually not a bad lineup. It's just that together they're not really like that strong as a five, you know. Well, and it's weird. It's weird, obviously. <laughs> it's weird, obviously, because EDG was more than the sum of their parts last split in spring, right? That was the that was their identity. They were the macro team. They looked like a Korean team within the LPL. Um, but Fofo's individual weakness this split and leave, of course, with his issues uh, outside of the game that prompted his replacement were pretty big blows to this. Isn't roster. that another example of what I told you about alchem alchemical correspondences? Don't name yourself leave if you want to have a long career. You were forced to leave. You bring, you it, you bring it upon yeah. yourself. Yeah. I'd, I'd rename myself like stalwart, you know, <laughs> mainstay. That's, that'd be my alias in the LPL. What is it? Don't <laughs> name yourself Thor. Yeah. Don't, don't name yourself Thorin if you don't want to get the, uh, the dragon sickness. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I wish I could actually find that because it was years ago. I think it was in like season five because I remember it was during Worlds when it was the one in Europe. When I did this thing where I went and I was asked to go and do like a, a speech for like the eSports club at like the London School of Economics. The guy who ran the course was some like Chinese immigrant guy and he was mega into League of Legends. He was like some like fucking upper class guy and he did a whole like 20 minute intro that was all like he tied together all things about the Hobbit and Tolkien with my alias. So, like, and then of course the TSM fans tried to spit their flesh but he he uses the the, the oaken shield of integrity <laughs> and he's supposed to guard us all. he did like a whole fucking thing it was sick it. it was so good, it was good. <laughs> i didn't get it, it on video unfortunately yeah. <laughs> it was recorded but he was like one of those boomers he was like but it's like 17 terabyte slides like fucking end it, you actual idiot okay whatever well all right um you want to talk about uh upcoming lcs playoffs at all should we should we yeah, wade into the question, the what is the match of the week in your opinion? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you for, for you asking me that yeah. question, Thorin. Our last Free Nation match of the week is going to be, uh, uh, what is it? Golden Guardians versus NRG. Now, we got our first match of the week wrong for esports bet last week, Thorin. It was highly disappointing. Uh, I also did pick this Golden Guardians NRG match when the odds were better. Right now, it's only 1.347 for Golden Guardians. But Basically, I, in 2023, CLG through, a, through any other name is still fucking Monty. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> they're still fucking him over. They're, they're still, still fucking me over. Uh, beating, beating Team Liquid unexpectedly. The playoffs, of course. That's, yeah. that's when they always break I, out, Monty. I do think NRG is potentially the third best team in the LCS, but I think there's a pretty big gap between C9 and Golden Guardians and, uh, and the next tier of competition. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, I, I mean, the reason why we picked this match was at one point in time, Genji had, or uh, G Golden Guardians, rather, GG, had uh, like 1.5 odds. It's still worth it because with our match of the week, if you put your prediction on that match, you get an additional 10% profit up to $100 USDT on your first bet. So even if the odds are lower, the rewards can still be higher if you get it correct, which is nice betting on a pretty safe favorite here. There's also promotions Esports Bet is running. If you want to play along for free, guys, they renamed DJT to Esports Coin or ESC. And if you want a bunch of free ESC, which you can, by the way, transfer into USDT, okay. uh, if you win enough of it so you can get real money out of it, uh, then all you have to do is do these three things for a limited time. It is a limited time, so do them now. 
You join the Esports Bet Discord, 10,000 ESC. Follow Esports Bet on Twitter, 5,000. And then Esports Bet on Instagram for 5,000. Once you do those things, message the mod mail on their Discord server or hit them up on the website through their customer support and they will credit up to, that is 20,000 ESC in total to your account. You can then play along with us for free, turn it into money later on if you like. It's fun. And you get the same 10% bonus for predicting the match of the week in ESC as well, or any other cryptocurrency. So it's a good time. Uh, we've only gotten that one wrong. All the rest of them have been right. We'll be right again this week. Surely Golden Guardians will not fall hilariously to NRG. Um, and the reason why we're confident about this is that they're... The way that they won against Team Liquid and APA's kind of hilarious underperformance, which allowed Palafox to get huge, is very unlikely to be replicated against the Gory River Synergy. Um, Licorice in the top lane has actually been surprisingly crushing it this split. Um, and, you know, there, there aren't a lot of... Like, Golden Guardians might be the overall best team. They're certainly the team with the highest floor in the LCS, even if C9 might potentially have a higher ceiling. Oh. So it's not yeah. outside of the question that they could they could win this split. Who he's been performing very well as support, um, I think this is more or less a slam dunk. NRG is not going to be able to replicate the win that they had against Team Liquid. Seems pretty unlikely. <laughs> Seems very unlikely. Um, well, I will say, like, I agree with you. NRG, low-key. Like, why couldn't they be one of the world's teams? I think it's totally on the table. I think that would even be a cool team to have in that fourth-place match against the EU team. It'd be a pretty interesting, spicy little <laughs> picante to throw in there, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, I I think NRG is actually going to end up going to Worlds just because the competition, like, their only real competition, I think, was Team Liquid. Like, yeah, TSM played EG close in a five-game series, but EG has had flaws for the entire split. Maybe TSM gets there instead in terms of that third place. 100 Thieves is just a complete fucking disaster still. There's no real redeeming qualities that make you believe they're going to win anything or make a deep run within these playoffs. Dignitas, Rich fell off a cliff, and he was the bright spot on this roster, so seems unlikely they're going to be doing anything. Um, you know, maybe, maybe EG can come through, but I think NRG is a more well-rounded roster than EG's right now. And we've seen what happens if you neutralize Jojo Pian. So I think, I think the, uh, the top four teams, you know, it's, it's basically like goalie guardians, cloud nine, and then TSM NRG and EG who are going to be duking it out for potentially the last couple of slots to even attempt to qualify, uh, for the world championship team liquid unless APA can get his mental under control where he's not going to try and be the fucking hero of this team and make boneheaded plays. Uh, I think they're pretty much done. So I'm calling it now. I don't think the EG team makes it. And they did well enough to, although what they've done already. Remember, they did just fire everyone except George or Peon guys, including the coaching staff. Just bring in like mad cynical, right, Kelsey, it's your turn to be the coach now. And then just bring in a bunch of fucking nobodies. Like, I think they've already done more than enough with this lineup. Like, they, they've got a chance to go as the fourth seed, but I think they'll fail personally. Like, I think <laughs> one of those low bracket teams gets them, mate. Also, there have been indications of turmoil again within the EG org. So. Who knows what this means, guys? Shout out to the Players Association of Riot for not even completing the investigation before everyone leaves the org. Well done, guys. <laughs> uh, but Nicola Point Jamison has deleted her Twitter. Now, you make of that 
what Think you will. Of those amazing tweets that people in the staff of Evil Geniuses created that now are just being deleted from history completely. <laughs> a million voices screamed out from the writer's room that could have been on the EG account. Uh, I, 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 and why this is a little bit shocking is because Nicole was setting herself up very deliberately to be the, the brand and the face of this organization. So it's really hard to do that in esports if you don't have a presence on Twitter. And also goes to show how foolish it was to even try and make that decision in the first place to put herself in terms of the, the brand front and center for EG. Because Here's if that's the problem, the, Monty, is this is where I actually fucked up because I went and I had a cursed monkey paw scenario. What I said was, all I want is for Nicole the Point Jameson to be the ex- CEO of Evil Geniuses. <laughs> Do you really believe it? This is why you're so precise with how you phrase when you ask. Damn you, Elon! You go. See, it did it did happen, but it's not in the way I wanted. That's the problem. So, there you go. Um, yeah, it, it it make of this what you will. We we don't know for sure if she's out. Uh, we don't we're know if <laughs> we're just really hoping, guys. It, and if that happens, by the way, we will have another victory parade for the the EG Holy War, which will yes. have officially been won. We will have been 2-0 and in Holy Wars. <laughs> but also, by the way, everybody hates us, even though we're constantly proven right about who the bad faith actors and shitters of the scene are. Weird. Weird how that works. It is outrageous, though, that that investigation is never... It'll never be, mate. They'll never. Same with the Reggie one. When's that going to be finished? Well, like, mate, this is like... I mean, that one was finished. This is ridiculous how long they take, though. Like, how many years? Like, mate, they make it seem like... I'm going to make it sound way cooler than it is. They make it seem like Reggie or Nicola Point Jameson is just in a room, like, on True Detective. You know, the conceit was, like, years later, he's talking to those police chief, like, people, like, oh, and then what's going on? What were you doing then? He's, like, telling old stories. Like, well, the thing is, inside everywhere, there's a monster. Like, they make it sound really cool. Like, all they do is this, right? They just contact people, like, do you need anything? And then they get, like, the most shitty evidence and, like, reports back. And then they sit on it for, like a year nine months six like you could resolve all this in like a month mate you just the joke is like richard lewis would get it all done in two weeks if you just had him on the fucking task wouldn't he <laughs> well they you have don't to... want to resolve these cases mate they definitely you... don't want to find people guilty that's for sure you have to pay a law firm a hundred thousand dollars in order to actually do these investigations you know what i mean sounds that's... like the biggest waste of money in a while uh, well to to be fair I would rather have Riot pay $100,000 to a law firm than do the investigation themselves because I personally know how it turns out when they do the investigation themselves, which is rife with incompetence and, uh, you know, bad faith. So what I'd rather they do. I actually think it's a positive, Monty, that Riot can abuse their power. Now, in your case, they did it in a really fucked up way, but they set the precedent there that in your case, if they really don't like you and something you've done, they don't have to go by the law or any rule. Or they can just remove you completely and say, get the fuck out, someone new come in. So that, the good thing is, once you establish that precedent, we don't have to pretend this is a sport or some legal <laughs> conceit. We can just go, evil geniuses fucked with that player, showed no response, doubled down repeatedly, and at the end, attempted to cover it up. Problem solved, you're out. See you. You're gone. Bring in the next set of people. But magically, 
They don't do that, do they? Weird how that doesn't work for their friends. The same <laughs> people as well. I'll tell you what has aged very poorly is that thing where they didn't let G2 into the VCT in Valorant and they let EG in. Like, well, that's brilliant, isn't it? So the org that later it turned out at the same time they were applying was fucking a player's life to pieces. They get the spot, do they? And remember, that's not even a league where you pay the fee. They pay you to be in that shit. Like, Riot have just shown they're actually one of the most scumbag sets of people ever to work in esports, mate, because they do the worst thing of all. They essentially virtue signal with their decisions. They don't actually have any principles. You could be the biggest dickhead of all time. Like, my joke will always work because it's just accurate. Like, if he came tomorrow, Andrew Tate and had $1 billion and he was going to make Andrew Tate esports, they would let him in the next day and everyone would work for him because he has a billion dollars. Like, that's why, that's why it's so whack because it's like, to me, it's either like, you do it arbitrary and just go like, I don't like Andrew Tate, therefore he can't be in. That's fine. Or you do it like, right, everyone gets the same, you know, everyone gets a fair shake and we've got a precedent. They just do, they just pick and choose which they do, mate. Like, yeah. I, what I actually genuinely believe is this. I'm just going to say it straight up. I think it's just because it was a bunch of women involved with that story, mate. If that was men, if the, if Nicole upon Jameson was Reginald and GamerDoc was yep. Weldon Green, they are fucking toast months ago, mate. Everyone would have turned on them. Everyone would have... I think, essentially, people... I mean, I said that on Power Spike at the time headline. this was going out. <laughs> yeah, people don't want the headline of, like, org run by the only, well, like, women in the esports space is kicked out of LC. That sounds like a terrible headline, I think, to people in PR, basically. Especially because there was a ton of PR already about Nicole LaPointe Jameson being a female CEO oh, in esports. There were tons and tons of articles yes. and like Riot was, was themselves, you know, providing quotes for these articles about this. So the optics are, are clearly quite terrible. But I said that at the time that if she wasn't a woman, this would be a very, 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 very different narrative that was going on within the EG organization. Um I mean, that's just how it is, because here's the thing. And it, it's it, it's unique. It's it's unique also to Riot because they can't have any more bad PR about women. They can't like that is at Riot's core right now. They are incredibly sensitive to this. Um, you know, things I've heard that are going on internally is that there is a massive, massive push. We cannot have any more bad PR about women at this company. And even though Nicole is not part of Riot, having more bad PR around a woman in the Riot orbit is absolutely unacceptable to Riot from a PR perspective. So they will go to extra big lengths to quash this one, for sure. Yeah. And uh, by the way, guys, in case you're wondering, uh, Danny still hasn't streamed since April 23rd. So... The lies, you know, is he ever going to stream again? I mean, the joke is he'll just delete his Twitter account next morning. Essentially, that's just memory hole. The whole thing. What do you mean? There never was a game of Doc or you call it. Danny. Who do you mean? You mean you mean Unforgiven? Like I can't. Stop gaslighting me. Stop gaslighting me. I mean, he's out. He's out for sure. Um, yeah. The real so, irony being, like, that is an appropriate name for Evil Genius because they are always going to be Unforgiven, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh it's kind of disappointing that they've been able to do so well by budgeting their roster it's the saddest but... thing about it mate i actually this is where people always frame it wrong so you know what i always make the point that like the area everyone gets wrong about the virtue signals with saudi is this monty they make it sound like oh well they did a good thing by speaking out of things that they believed but it's just a shame they had to compromise no no it's the other way around you idiot because when they did the good thing it had no impact on the world hence why they could do it, it had no cost they actually treated the lives of the people they used as the chess 
piece with contempt. It's worse than like they did a good thing, but then did a bad thing. They did a really bad thing, which is pretended to care and then showed they never cared, right? It's the same in this scenario. Like what I hate about this is people now want it to be like this, Monty. Yeah, but look what Kelsey's done. One of my favorite people ever in esports. No, no, no. Look at it this way. They were never going to give Kelsey a head coach job. She only got the head coach job because everyone else was fired and all the players were stripped out and she's one of the people who has worked with the talent that they've been developing. So I like that she got a head a job. Sure. Not this way, though. Like, this is <laughs> now, like this. This, this <laughs> the worst thing. I guarantee you, Monty, if they somehow fuck around and get to Worlds with this lineup, they're going to spin this like they have with Potter, who's been very successful in Valorant, as like, right. look, we hired women. It's like, you didn't, motherfucker. You took Kelsey and put her on some, like, little kids table project. And then what happened is, cause freeze and that lineup didn't work out and you wanted to fire everyone, cut all the costs. You, you made the actual MVP of the fucking league inspired. He's just sitting watching, like, he's on, like, fucking self-made status of, like, delivering pizzas and watching fucking games on stream with us. Like, that's a disgrace. So, I, like, on the one hand, I want to get happy about it, but then I can't because it just fucking sucks. Like, they never seen be in this situation. Like, if you actually believed she was good, give her a real fucking coaching job with real players. Right. By the way, if she can do that with us players, imagine if she had, like, a fucking fly quest roster, maybe she could win the league, mate. If you actually yeah. believe, put your money where your mouth is. Show me. Show me you care about women. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does seem rather unintentional in the end, uh, especially after. Lucky. Yeah, especially after all the investment in you know the previous coaching staff with Peter Dunn and like you know it was only when the scandal started and they were trying to cut money as the esports winter set in that people even got these opportunities. And you know, no, no, no shot at Kelsey. I think she's done a very good job. And also, okay. yeah, and also you can only take the opportunities that are given to you and make the most of them, and you can't always. Have, you know, you don't always get to pick the way you get those opportunities, but she's certainly making the most of the time that she's having. And I hope somebody, you know, either EG or another team continues to recognize that and gives her more opportunities in the future. I think she deserves it. Basically, in the future, it's going to be like that Back to the Future in photo of his family from the first movie. You're going to have a picture and it's going to be like Danny... Giorgio, Nicola Point Jameson, Gamer Doc, Andrew Barton, Danny Engels, and fucking, and then at the end, it's like there's only fucking Giorgio left. He's the last one before they all fade out and stop existing. Obviously, the joke there is you could just act, what you could do is you could also have Latigris. She fades out, but then she comes back as, as Gabby did. And she's, she, there's two people get to stay at the end. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, should we, what else should we talk about? LCK real quick. I mean, there's not that much to to say about LCK at the moment. LCK We're just kind of just, waiting for playoffs to start. The ball's waiting for the, the big playoff games, basically. But it is going to be mega when it gets to them. I mean, like, hopefully. If you look at some of the possible matchups, this could be really fun playoffs. Yeah, I, I think we could probably talk about this more next week when we actually have the start of playoffs um, going on. I mean, KT and Genji look like they're a cut above right now, but, you know, Hanwha Life, they, they've shown some life. And maybe T1 now with Faker back will make things a little bit spicier in the playoff bracket than they would have been otherwise. It, Especially because it, it, they're coming in in fifth place, mate. So, like, they, they could actually do, like, a pretty sure. epic run through that playoff bracket, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to be good enough to take out Hanwha in their current form. Maybe D plus though. Maybe D plus. D plus would be a very interesting match. I could see D plus fucking that up, mate. Oh, for sure. Uh, they, they fuck up a lot of things these, <laughs> these days. <laughs> mm. You watch those uh, Gen G games. You will see that on display this last week. D plus had 
some very winnable game states in both of those games managed to lose uh 2-0. I'm I'm like low key looking forward to the uh the HLE versus Gen G match happening just to get a power check on HLE because Gen G at least will want to win that game because they are uh you know they want to be in the in potentially in competition for the first seed. So losing to you know playing a more passive series is not what I think we're going to see from Gen G. They're going to want to continue to press forward and win um to see if you know, KT accidentally stumbles against Nongshim or Live Sandbox, which are happening later in the week, which would potentially enable Genji to retake number one seed. So yeah, here's the they, thing. The best part about the LCK is that the narratives always, it's like history, it's cyclical. It's not that they're new narratives, it's just old ones return ready for the next cycle. And so the joke is, unironically, Monty already done fucked up and disobeyed his own rule and got excited about KT Rolster. <laughs> no, I didn't get excited about KT Rolster. It was, the, as Wolf and I discussed on our show, it's the prophecy of KT Rolster. This was the inevitable destiny of KT, Thorin. Okay. We're not excited. We are merely watching history unfold. What is this? What, how does it play out? What is the end then? Oh, they win. They win. Do they this win worlds after time? No. <laughs> okay. Well, even in the prophecy, they don't win. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a Korea specific prophecy, but also uh, ignore the fact that worlds is in Korea. It's a Korea specific prophecy that will end at the end of August, and at that time, they will no longer be good. <laughs> By the way, the amount of individual games they have won this split is unbelievable as well. Like bearing in mind oh, that yeah. roster, no one had that being the number one roster. That's fucking very impressive. Like, and like I mean, quite frankly, they're only going to drop like what one game this week. Dude, they could easily end on like thirty six wins or something ridiculous. Yeah, they could. They could whatever. get it. They could get as high as thirty five and five. Yeah, thirty five and five. That's pretty bonkers when you consider where this team came from at the beginning of the year. That's <laughs> yeah. very impressive. Yeah, they've they've done a really great job, and the meta has suited them really nicely. Yep. Um, they're a really complete team right now. Uh, which is not really, you know, there's some very glaring flaws in in all of the other LCK rosters, uh, including Gen G. But mostly that's just Doran's laning phase. And if you know, sometimes Doran just pops off for like a week or two and has a very good laning phase, and then all of Gen G's big problems kind of disappear. Um, but it's not consistent. Whereas KT has had a very very good floor, and they've dimensionalize the way they play as a unit over the course of the year to a lot of very different team compositions and uh cuz is doing well cuz of course cuz could regress at any point in time that's the real fear if you're a kt fan is that cuz starts to suck for whatever reason um because the rest of the players have been just really really good uh do i think kt really has a shot against jdg i think that's unlikely i don't think any team really has a shot against jdg um, especially, I mean, maybe in a single elimination bracket, they do, but in double elim, it's very, I think it's even not that JDG has even needed that second life, as you pointed out earlier, Thorin, but I think, you know, beating them once is proven hard enough. Beating them twice, I think is virtually impossible. So maybe somebody gets lucky in single elim and can knock them out of the tournament, but the only thing uh, is, though, I'll, I will complete my prophecy from earlier this year. I told okay. you two things. I told you one that MSI, once they play that double limb playoff bracket, will be the best tournament yep. in League of Legends history. And two, everyone at the end of Worlds will be like, fuck, why wasn't that a double yes. limb bracket? Because like, when I yep. even look at these teams now and I'm thinking of all the teams going, mate, imagine if it was the MSI format. Oh, baby, that would be fucking <laughs> insane. Mate, you can have every matchup you want. You can have like LNG versus fucking Gen G and JDG against KT. You can have it all, BLG against T1, whatever, whatever matchup you want, you can have it. It would be, be the shit, mate. Yeah, and we don't know what patch worlds is going to be on, so it's hard to know. 
you know, which teams are going to be activated. But if the meta doesn't change very much, KT looks great. They look great. I, I love watching this team play. It's so satisfying to see Keen's career be revitalized after a dumpster fire of a year last year. Uh, and aiming continue on with his success. You know, them getting Lehens over from Gen G and making that roster change has been really good. Lehens has been excellent in this kind of engaged meta so far. So I, I hope I hope they are competitive. Like I hope I do hope we get a five game banger between them and JDG at some point over the course of the world championship. And I hope KT can take the title. You know, uh, this is the first what time EDD becomes a world champion. <laughs> I mean, he's, he deserves it. No one had that on the bingo card. Bit. He's, like, he's in the MVP conversation for sure. This sure. Split. he's in the MVP conversation. He's been really, really good. Um, and, you know, I think I, I, I hope KT is going to be at least competitive, the, the, the most competitive team at the world championship. And this is also the first time that KT has won both telecom wars in a split since the first since spring of 2018. So it's been a while since we've seen KT be more successful uh, than T1. people don't know was the worst T1 year ever. <laughs> and also the best KT year ever, 2018. <laughs> that was a super team, if people don't know. That was the KT super team. But you know, Thorne, even the KT super team didn't sweep T1 in summer. They split the series 1-1. So it's been a long, long time uh, since we've had the, the telecom war kind of tilt the other direction. And here we are. So will it will it happen in playoffs? Maybe T1 will with Faker revitalized will dash KT's hopes, but I don't think so. I think this team looks really good. By the way, that alone also would be so sick for Faker's legacy. Imagine if they came like third. That'd be fucking wild. To even win a couple of series would be big now. Like yeah, I have no I expectation for them to win any series, by the way. Like essentially, bear in mind, remember, guys, here's what you're always going to forget about LCK. LCK doesn't do a gauntlet anymore. It's just a bracket. So it's it, here's the thing. If it was the old gauntlet and they play like Live Sandbox in the first round, yeah, they could win that one. But you don't play that. Like you're only going to play good teams, like we say, like best case scenario, you play D plus. You should still lose that series as well. Like T1 actually shouldn't win any playoff series. It's why they're actually going to be in a tough spot for going to worlds. Like, there's a very real chance they're not going, mate. Yeah, I mean, they obviously have a lot of championship points from their second place finish in spring, so they will be in the uh, the regional finals um, because they're already locked into these playoffs as well. I guess there's probably an outside shot that they don't make the regional finals, but, uh, it, you know, it's, I think it's pretty likely. Um, and, yeah. But as, you feel like a lot of these teams in the regionals can beat them, though. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think, yeah. Uh, it it depends on how this keeps going. Like, I'm not going to read into a Kwangdong Freaks win, right? We have to wait for the playoffs to see what's actually going on because I also just don't think T1 is going to be pulling out all the stops right now because they can't move out of fifth place effectively. So what's the point in showing your hand if you have strategies that you've been working on or, um, you know, champion pools for various players that you've been expanding? It, we really just have to wait until the first match. And uh, right now... You know, it's looking like it will be probably D plus versus T one in the first round, which is winnable for T one. It is winnable. D plus is also a flawed by the way, team. When you listed those players off earlier, you did have a very egregious omission from your list. Reigning world champion, three time world's finalist, two time world's winner, gangster Beryl, the king <laughs> of incomplete items, is going to be available. And you know oh what? He could God. be the thing that completes your team. 
a few signings uh, at the end of this year. Listen, two ta- two worlds, babies, with different teams. This is the truth. You have to understand, if I was like Fion, I would just go full evil and just make him like the greatest player in the history <laughs> of like ch- Korean League of Legends. Like, if he's the greatest know, players. He's the greatest mind, you know, in be. the bot lane. He was the only connective factor. It had to be him. <laughs> it was him the whole time. It wasn't Showmaker. All right, let's make the Viper. Feral. Let's make the Viper barrel lane. Let's fucking yes. do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Viper barrel world championship. Like I don't, I'll just tell everyone because it's going to be so old. No one's even going to remember it. The, the piece of content that might have tilted me the most in the history of esports was after Samsung White won season four worlds. Theon wrote an article about Looper where he literally, this is like the worst NFL Reddit tier nephew angle ever. He just took wins, win team wins on a champion. And he treated that as though that showed you how good you were on the champion. And that's not a joke, Monty. He actually showed that Looper was better than Flame because like Looper had like a better like win rate because his team won every fucking game. Meanwhile, <laughs> Flame was on like, you know, like sus version of like Blaze at the end. Like, and this arc, he actually tried to argue that like, look, and he made it sound like actually Looper was the goat of top lane because not only did he have all these insane winners, then be like, look, and then he can play like cinched and stuff. It's like, you actually uh, everything wrong with eSports for you. Why are you doing this, mate? Like you can be so much better than this. This is so whack. Because you know when they still do that to this day in the NFL, when they go like, you know, Aaron Rodgers only has an eight and nine win rate in the uh, playoffs. Like, Oh, is he a one v one spot? What are you talking about? Like, what do you, what does that even mean? He has like he doesn't he has, like, as a quarterback. I mean, Aaron, yeah. Aaron Rodgers is on a and here you go. Get triggered, fucking Packers fans. A bum ass team. Boss. Now we can like the fact that the Packers are owned by the fans and have such an insane history, and you know the 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 you know kind of aura around Lambeau oh, Field. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The it's cool, but you know what? When it comes to actually being an effective ownership group where you have you're a billionaire who can put guaranteed contracts together for players, which makes it more attractive to play for you. The Packers are kind of a bum ass owner team and they've had success through the draft, but rarely have they been able to offer the same kind of, you know, guaranteed deals or free agent signings that other teams have been able to offer. And so they're constantly playing with a disadvantage. And on top of that, Holy fuck, is it even Aaron Rodgers' fault? His coaches won't even let him win the big uh, playoff games. They literally prevent him from ma- being the man and making the plays in the clutch situations. He's actually gimped by his team a lot of the time. If you're going to even say that line, you should have to add in the context, like, coached by Mike McCarthy and, like, <laughs> like give me a fucking break. <laughs> and, then they, and then they troll him by, like, taking Jordan Love in the draft instead of trying to take players that will, I don't know, give him someone to pass the ball to. <laughs> it's actually sad. I hope he does well in the Jets. <laughs> Not a good chance. Apparently, Devontae Adams might go. That's the rumor. So, that the, the reunite. The dream. Um... Uh, all right. Um, I, I guess we should probably talk very briefly about LEC beyond the format. You have any thoughts on the, the G2 stomp of Excel? This is why, unfortunately, look, for people like Odo, I'm there. I think it's cool. He made the final and like he fucking overcame all the bullshit with Koi and he had that slam dunk on him with the banter where he eliminated them. For, that's all cool. That was fun. But if I had to choose, if I could go back and replay that match, 
I need Fnatic to win that match, mate. Like, Fnatic versus G2 could have been interesting. Like, XL was so lackluster in this final, mate. It was just a fit game. That's why, by the way, another reason I also hate when underdogs make deep runs. Because if you are XL, you actually can, after the year you've had, go, oh, well, second place is good. I don't ever want that to be the fucking takeaway from a final, Monty. The takeaway from a final, ideally, is you're both contenders, so you both know if you lose, I could have won this one. Like, mate, I let this one get away. Like, that's the vibe I want after a final, where it's like, everyone knew they were going to lose this final. It wasn't even vaguely as competitive as the upper bracket final. And then the way they lost, this was just a shit final, mate. Like, G2 just made, were just made to look like five times better than them or something. It was ridiculous. And the, the but, one upside is this. The one upside, and C9 hasn't maintained this, Nelson, it's only G2 in Europe, is at least their team actually does look levels ahead of the rest of the competition. We're not even talking just players. The players are all peaking as well for G2, but like the way they play the meta, the champions and lanes they can play, mate, the way they've run bot lane this year in Europe, like they're just way better than everyone else that they're understanding of the game, it seems like. And you, we pointed this out on the last one, but like Mickey X is the linchpin player of that team. Look at what he's done just champion and meta-wise this year, Mon. He's played it all. He's gone from enchanters through to like he was the best Brown. He's already a god on Pike and Thresh and all that. Mate, the guy just runs the league. And remember, he wasn't even supposed to be on G2. They kicked him out two years ago. And Heimerdinger, you know, earlier this year. As well. But, he even played a fucking Jarvan game or something, didn't he? Like, wasn't there some ridiculous shit like that? I, I think I think Mickey X, as I tweeted, I think he is absolutely deserving of LEC MVP of the entire year. I think nobody has been as consistently good as Mickey X. His, his teammates have had various ups and downs, like Caps and Broken Blade have both been kind of garbage at times, but they've also been very good at other times. And maybe Mickey X hasn't hit the peaks that they have, but he's he's been amazing on this team. And while we've seen a lot of churn amongst the other teams in this league, G2 has consistently made the playoffs in, in the various splits. Um so, yeah, I think there is no player more deserving of getting a year-long MVP award, which I don't even know if they offer, by the way. I'm not even sure they're going to... Seems gonna... like they just got rid of all that shit, man. It's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, because I think he he 100% deserves LEC MVP of the year. Would he have gotten... I think he would have gotten... Well, he should have gotten MVP of spring. He was robbed. Um, or of winter, rather. He should have gotten MVP of winter. So he should have also gotten that award. But as for the whole year, I don't think that anybody's been as rock solid and good as he has been because i actually been... think it's sad like for example if people don't know in the lpl they didn't even give like season mvps till something insane like season seven or eight or something mad like that like i might even do a piece of content one day and go back and give like my version of the mvp or whatever that sucks for history dude like look we can certainly argue in some sports they give the wrong person the mvp but i actually i've always told you i actually think for team sports it is so important to have both mvp of regular season and it has to be regular season so that you can't get fucked by your team being terrible and then the other thing is you have to have like all pro that's to always be that for every year because that that is your foundational first place you go to in history if you didn't watch that era to look at it like I, I was even doing it on our show if people didn't see the one where I do a basketball show now with Maui Snake on the LFN Sports Channel. Like one of the points I make, for example, where it's like a controversial pick, like, oh, Carmel loads your power forward. Like you, you know he was like a 10-time all NBA first team player. 
10 times. Like, you do all, <laughs> I think the most in history ever, Monty's like 13 or something. Like, that's unbelievable. That essentially means you can say he's bad, but that means his peer group said he was the best for a decade. Like, that, shit like that matters. Like, that is where you start these discussions. So I think it sucks that if we go back, someone would actually have to watch this show to know how good Mickey X was. They wouldn't be able to say, there's nothing in the league would show them. There's no accomplishment to tell you that. And the reason it also sucks as well, in my opinion, is because I'll give you a great example. Like, at least, at least Mickey X won the championship. He's on G2. The guy who's going to be absolutely wrecked by this year is Larson from Coy. He might actually have been the best mid laner of LEC, but because Coy was so whack, no one will ever remember that, dude. People will think this is the worst year of his career. Because remember, all the other years, he was always first place in the split sure. and the final, top three every time. So like, you won't know that in history. You'll have to, you had to actually go and watch the games or, or check in Reddit threads or something. Like, there's no marker to say, no, you were that good. And the reason that sucks is, if people don't know, I'll give you a sports example. The best sports example ever is probably Barry Sanders, the running back. Because his team, sure. I think he made the playoffs like twice or something, because his team's well, on the garbage, Lions. Like, were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but if you ever watch it, this guy is unbelievably good at oh, fucking running back. Yeah. He's like one of the best players ever and so unique. But you, but if you didn't have things like all all first team and all pro, you would never know that. Like if you just looked at his team and because to bring it all the way back, if you did the Bozo nephew Reddit take they do on those sports shows like ESPN, like but look, he has like a, whatever rating in the playoffs. Like he doesn't, you idiot. He plays one position in a super complicated game that can't win the game by itself. So I think actually it's really sad that they've abandoned this because I actually love that angle. Like I like to be able to count the MVPs and the all pro placings and stuff. And I think actually if you're Mickey X, like. Dude, you were the guy who's going to be remembered, sadly, in history as the least important member of the super team. But then years later, you're the reason G2 wins again. By the way, there's another reason why it sucks. Every dickhead will think, like, I've already seen the tweets, Monty. They're all bigging up caps. This has to be one of the most lackluster caps years ever, you fucking idiots. Like, Mickey X is the fucking player I'm bigging up. He was unbelievable. Like, he basically was almost the best player every split in the whole league. That's fucking fire. And also, go, I tell you, you should go ask if you want to know how good Mickey X is. Go ask fucking Hans Sama. Mate, he was a bum last year. He looked fucking amazing with Mickey X this year. There's night and day how good he is. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really deserved. So I, I hope that they actually do have a year-long All-Pro and a year-long MVP. Um, but they probably won't. We'll see after the... It'll take till the season finals for that to happen. That'll be something we could do on our show after the season finals are over. Seriously, <laughs> if we ever actually do get the company funded, this is the sort of thing, I, I may have talked about this many times in the past privately as well, I actually do want to do things like our own Hall of Fame or give away sure, awards. Yeah. And the thing is, my idea, this is why we need funding though, is I actually want it to be where it's not just like a thing on the internet that they care about. I want it to be like you get a little ring or a little cool badge. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. You know that, Monty, I love that shit from Starcraft. I think it's so stupid they got rid of it. You I know when you, when you would win the OSL, they would give you the little badge. And you get the you golden like, mouse. And you could have a bunch, yeah, but you put it on your uniforms. It meant every yep. time you played on stage, you could see that like Nada had six fucking badges. Like that's fuck, that is fire. Like imagine even think of any esports game now. Look, I'm gonna make a joke one, but imagine if Beryl just had two world spins and he was rocking, like, what a bitch, gangster, two, two of these. Like that'd be shit, wouldn't it? Meanwhile, fucking Kerry is just crying, I've got any of those. Like, yeah, whatever. I run this game, I am Beryl. Hear me more. Okay. <laughs> I can't handle as well because the thing about Beryl is he's such an unassuming character if you see what he looks like. He just looks like someone's cousin that's like, oh, is he, is he playing with us? No, two time <laughs> world champion, motherfucker. Three worlds in a row. I can't handle it. Three world finals. It's no funny. I don't know it's all right. Surely the run stops here, Thor. Surely the run stops here. Basically, this is this is how you know how sick. 
Khan is. Khan's the only person that could stop Beryl from winning Worlds. <laughs> I mean, if DRX wins their next two games, it's not outside of the realm of possibility <laughs> that they go to the, the LCK playoffs. I'm just saying, the the Beryl danger is not yet over, Thor. Okay. We have <laughs> Beryl being in his fourth consecutive World Finals. Although that would be even more outrageous than oh, DRX's run last year, for sure. <laughs> Because it would also just be the most empty calorie stat of all time if he made like four world's finals in a row. I imagine, okay imagine, like, he must be one of the best players ever. It's like, not really. He just really wasn't. I'm sorry. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if Croco wins world this year, dude. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I thought also, the, winning was bad enough. The other thing I can't handle as well, because obviously it happened this year, everyone remembers earlier, like LS kept going on about it, is Cosberl has won worlds twice. It's just the worst example ever to like young players when he just never completes all those items. He was buying like a billion <laughs> pink wards. Like, why are you actually? play like objectively bad league of legends as the world champion for fuck's sake like we're supposed to be teaching them kids the proper way to live he just knows which champions to pick and how to do rotations he doesn't actually know what to buy the joke is you obviously coached him back in the day all he knows is how to do rotations with champion to pick. just pick Sivir. barrel's my guy yeah exactly barrel's my guy Pick Siver and rotate. Um, yeah, hilarious. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to say about the LEC right now. We just got to wait for the next phase of it. The the finals were really underwhelming because G2 decided to shockingly take Kaisa instead of just trying to counter pick everything every game not for wild. no reason. Just take the power picks as they're up. Well, guess what? They did that. They didn't have a bad day. I, Dylan Falco said after their last series against Excel that he was really disappointed in how they performed. But I was also disappointed in how they drafted because they were being too cute. Just take the fucking power picks. See what happens when you get Kaisa three games in a row in this on this patch? See what you can do when oh, you can flip-flop it between thing. AD carry and mid lane? That's the other thing I found really underwhelming about LEC in summer is, mate, the other reason G2 looks like levels ahead of everyone, most of the other teams, even the contenders, each have two or three players who have incredibly limited champion pools. Like, you even look at Fnatic's a great example as well. Dude, if Fnatic get their picks, they can win a bunch of games. If they don't, they're just fucking like half as good. It's ridiculous how hard they drop off. Like, it's same with XL. This is why XL could never have actually won the BO5 final. Look at what they would have to play to even take things away in the draft. They can't. They have, don't have any of those champions. Like they don't have the mid lane and the fucking ADC champions to take away from Hansama and Caps, etc. So a, a lot of the other teams also just looked very flawed at the end of the split to me. It's not just that they were losing games. Like the actual like quality of League of Legends wasn't as high. No, and I think you know some of the other some of the other issues are just weird to me. I clearly clearly Excel has more data than I do, right? But remember. Move my desk, sorry. Uh, remember when we saw Peach pop off on Lee Sin? Remember he had that amazing early game on Lee Sin, looked pretty good mechanically, was making some really interesting dives, got a huge lead. We only got to see one game of Peach on Lee Sin. It's not that Lee Sin is out of the meta at all, but instead, what do I have to watch, Thorne? I have to watch Peach playing Sejuani or Maokai and just getting just fucking up every early game, dying stupidly. So I got to see Peach as a player play some really active aggressive kill heavy like one kill heavy Lee Sin game and I just never get to see it again instead he's played nine games of Maokai eight games of Sejuani and the next one is two games of Viego that's his next biggest pick right so but I know what happens when he plays Maokai and Sejuani yeah he's okay in the late game team fights at pressing R with those champions but he dies in the early game he accrues massive losses for his team he takes stupid fights why do I never get to see the lease in game again?
It's weird. They still pretend they have the global veteran and everyone can play everything. They're all fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> part of the cards and all that shit. I mean, obviously they have scrim data, right, that I don't have, and surely that is what is guiding their decision. All I know is that the one time I got to see the Lee Sin, he was good. And if you are down 0-2 in a in a, if you have if you're down 0-2 in this series, right? And you want to do something, just anything, what are we gonna do? Oh, we're going to play Sejuani in the Kha'Zix? Okay, well, that sounds like a lot of fun for the jungler who likes to die alone in the early game. Like, come on, man. Do something. Do something different. Oh, by the way, there's a real black pill for everyone. I mean, at least there's, it was bad, that game. But. There's a real world where Peach is going to be representing LEC at Worlds. <laughs> there's a world where this is the teams we get. So G2's going, cool. Maybe, let's say, fuck it, maybe Fnatic makes it. Then they might have like XL and Mad Lions. That might be the other two. So fuck you know. <laughs> that fourth that fourth place match in NA is this be world where the fourth place match is like evil geniuses versus like you say, fucking mad lions. BDS. Like, <laughs> BDS could be any of these teams. Fuck you know, that's how it's dire. Dorkler against Adam, who gets to go to the world championship. <laughs> Meanwhile, at home, you just have some fucking person like, like we're saying, like fucking Uzi Eye of, could even be like, you know, fucking Jao Hu. Like, can I go to Worlds? No, shut Actually up, Jao Shut up, Jao <laughs> We're trying to determine who gets to go out of Dorkler and Adam. Okay, like, fuck you. Fuck yeah, you. Faker. Faker, you don't get to go to Worlds. Adam gets to go. Great. Great system, Riot. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> Uh, too funny. All right. Uh, want to take a break and get to questions? Yeah, All right. Take a quick break, guys. We're back with viewer questions. Right. We're back for viewer questions, which are sourced from our Discord. So if you are a subscriber to our Discord, which does cost money, but that's the point, then you can ask us questions and they can be all sorts of questions. But I will always add the proviso that I do retain executive decision to flame you if I do not like the question. And it annoys me and waste my time. So that's just one that I'm putting out there. It's also, sadly, right. I actually realized this years ago. Because that is sort of one of the things I'm just good at doing. Like, I already am someone who would complain anyway. So I had to make it entertaining and sort of make it like my shtick or whatever. And I realized years ago, even some of my own fans in like my Patreon AMA would ask like mildly irritating questions in the hopes of like creating like an of organic course. great rant. And so I eventually realized people actually almost want me to flame them, mate. That's of course they do. Part. It's like some sort of fucked up sub-dom relationship going on. And what's he not talking about? Of course about? it is. Sobbing to I Will Dominate, who was a great content creator within the last three years. Network on Twitch.tv. <laughs> but instead, don't sub to him. Give us at your Discord subscription and you can ask us a question. All he does is just tell you your shit and that fucking, I don't know, Broken Blade's really good at Nashi and, and other such assorted lies. So, <laughs> uh, who did who from the NFL did Riot Global Esports consult when they first envisioned their best of one formats? I mean, nobody from the NFL. They were just NFL fans, guys. It's even worse. It's a bunch of dinguses who had nothing to do with sports or esports who decided on a lot of these formats. It is you shit. You know the funniest thing about it as well, Monty? I mean, you know this, but like the joke is obviously the only reason you have to have that format is because it's such an incredibly violent sport. Like if it wasn't a violent sport, spoiler, I'd love to have like a fucking hockey best of seven Super oh, yeah. Bowl final series where like be the greatest teams. It would be amazing. Like you would have, the, whole, <laughs> the joke is even the NFL format is flawed. It's just, it's the only one that can work for the NFL. Without 
about killing people more than it already yeah. kills them. Because <laughs> I already think, like, that's one of the reasons I personally was against adding the extra game in the season. Because one thing has always been a bummer for me in the NFL is once you do get to the Super Bowl, the amount of times that both teams have, like, significant injuries is so whack, dude. Like, that has decided way too many Super Bowls. Like, you know, like, two key secondary players aren't in, so your defense is fucked, or your wide receiver's yep. on one leg or something. Like, it's already bad enough as it is. So, yeah, to bring it all back, like... As far as we can tell, the worst part is they didn't even consult. They just intuited that that had some abstract reasons to why it was good instead of looking at the practical reality of why they did that format. These are people who don't come from sports or esports. They don't have any game knowledge of League of Legends as a game, and they especially didn't have it in the early days when they were first hired. They are idiots. Uh, Since Owl is dead, can you guys reveal the drama behind London Spitfire in season one? Apparently between the Gladiators match and playoffs, something bad happened. So bad that Sideshow and Bren were sworn to secrecy to never reveal it. Uh, that sounds so. This sounds like uh, they've exaggerated the story. What could possibly? It sounds that exaggerated. That so my wife was the GM of that team, obviously that won the championship, and they did lose and get into the lower bracket in the first round. But I don't recall any particular dr- massive unspeakable drama that occurred. I, I, I don't know what that refers to. And if I don't know, it was either something so minor that I forgot it or nothing happened. <laughs> no, I, th- I think they're just like misremembering the story. There, so I don't, I think all oh, they've just oversexed up the story. Maybe I, I think maybe, I mean, think maybe sideshow and brand over, over up that story. Who knows who somebody made that so, too sexy. Uh, for Thorin is Wayne Gretzky, your pick for greatest hockey player. Here's the problem. No one ever actually defines what they mean by greatest. Like, do we mean, did they have the greatest career? Do we mean, are they the greatest player overall? Do we mean if you picked them at their peak, they would win a match? You know what I mean? Like, so the real problem is this, is if you're going off things like stats and like uh, championships, like Wayne Gretzky would obviously be a very strong contender for number one, like statistically he blows everyone else out of the water. But people ignore factors like, he got a lot of his stats in the era when the when the NF when the NHL had like an insane like fucking pace basically. And if you don't know, my favorite player is Mario Lemieux, but unfortunately he was massively crippled by injuries, including literal cancer that he played through on a number of occasions. And the problem he had was Monty. His main, Gretzky's main decade was the eighties, and Lemieux's main decade was the nineties. And the problem with the nineties is that was like the dead puck era. That was it. People don't remember the fucking New Jersey Devils won a bunch of Stanley Cups playing like the biggest cunts of all time and just score one goal, everyone behind the fucking park at that point. And then, you know, you know how Bordeaux was? He had like yep. a fucking tent in front of the goal. It was ridiculous. Like, that's anti-hockey to me. So to me, if you go off stats, you always have to put it in context. Like, that's actually amazing how good Lemieux was in that era. Like, he could essentially score at will. So my favourite player is Mario Lemieux. But the problem is, because he was injured like half his career, maybe it is Wayne Gretzky. But I do think, by the way, in my opinion, every sport is actually enhanced by not having singular GOAT discussions. As in, you have the discussion, but you do it by role. Because, for example, like Bobby Orr is a defenseman and he's one of the best players ever. Right. That's totally different to being like someone like Lemieux or fucking Gretzky. So to me, I think it's more interesting to do it by position. So if you want to go for like the best fucking whatever, yeah, maybe maybe Gretzky could be it. I don't mind that. But I think every sport is more interesting if you make like the... What you do is this. Before you decide the goat, you have to put everyone who should be in the convo in the convo, then eliminate them. So if you start with like five names, then you probably have a really interesting discussion. Right. It's also about competition during that era as well. Because if you were 
an exceptional player in an era with very little, you know, very few other superstar players who are able to compete with you, then obviously you look better in comparison, right? I mean, what people don't know as well is Wayne Gretzky played on an insanely loaded Oilers team. Like, do people forget when he left, they won without him, like two years later, because Mark Messier was also like a top five fucking player in the NHL. And then if you ever go and look in his area, this is how you know it can't just be that he was the GOAT himself, mate. Because if you look in his era, his whole team is scoring balls. Like, go look like Jari Curry, the fucking like winger player that played, he scored like a billion goals, like an assist, like that whole era, they were all just banging him in all day long. That was when you would have hockey games that were like 8-6 was the score, mate. Well, if you go to the 90s, it's going to be like a 2-1 game or something, you know, so if we're going off pure stats, you're never going to have the same production. It's actually a random thing as a random detail that people don't know, the same thing in basketball. Like in the 2000s, the early 2000s was the equivalent of like the dead pocket era, like teams were scoring 90 points a game, Monty. Well, if you if this, if a team averages like 93 points a game, and then you have a streak like where Kobe had a streak where he had nine games of 40 points. Dude, that's like he scored half the team's points in most of the game. That's impossible. But it doesn't sound as sick if like, well, this person scored 50. Yeah, but what's the pace? So to yeah. me, the, if you haven't noticed, by the way, this is why actually GOAT discussions are interesting. If you put all the context in, because what I'm essentially explaining is how I see the sport and what the different factors are and what the variables are. It's not just like he is the best. Yeah, you know? it's also the rules change, right? I mean, or even... You know, obviously in baseball, it was a lot more exciting to watch the game and there were a lot more hits and home runs during the fucking Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds steroid era, right? And so it warps the game when, you know, they're not doing very serious steroid testing or not the right steroid testing, right? And these players are allowed to break all of these records. And even just a few years ago, guys, you'll remember in baseball, there was a whole scandal where they started to do analysis on all of the baseballs that were played with at the professional level. And like a hundred percent of them had the sticky substance on them because the pitchers would hide it in the brims of their hats and shit or in their pockets. And so every pitcher pitcher had a better grip on the ball, which was causing the, the, the hit rate to drop to the lowest point it had basically ever been in baseball history or among the lowest. So that obviously affects the stats of offensive baseball players during that entire era. And now they've just straight up changed the rules of baseball with the pitch clock in order to make the game go faster. Which, of course, now we're seeing more stolen bases. We're seeing higher uh, hit percentages on average. So all of these factors have to be considered in any sport as to, you know, how the rules are enabling or disabling certain players within the era that they are playing in. And it's about how their performance is versus the norm versus absolute stats, right? Like, what is the standard deviation of these players' stats from the norm as opposed to do they does Barry Bonds just have a fucking ton of home runs because he was roided out of his mind, right? <laughs> um, I'm a fan of Bill Simmons, the Ringer's traditional sports content, which I think has a lot of similarities to LFNE sports content. One of my favorite pieces they did was the wine bottle team where they constructed the best NBA team possible with players in their best vintage years, i.e. 2016 Steph Curry or 2013 LeBron James. What would your wine bottle team be for each of the major regions? Considering team chemistry and being patch proof. Well, we're not going to do it for the major region. Let's just pick one and that's do like it. an entire video. Yeah. That's like an entire video. Um, Should so we just do I, like an LCK or something? I mean, sure. Uh, I think you have to take like 2014 Mata and Dandy, possibly like the greatest support jungle synergy duo of all time. Uh, I think you probably have to take 2013 Faker. Was there ever a player who was so massively ahead of the competition? Um, you might have to take 2018 Smeb in the top lane. Uh, 
or you know 20, like 2016 i think for that yeah 2015 2016 smeb would also be pretty good smeb in one of his vintage years uh as for ad carry maybe adc is the edgy one you can go a lot of angles on that you could uh, like you could do prime deft. He was very good once upon a time. You could do obviously ruler last year was pretty fucking good. I think too, ruler right? last year, like 2022 ruler up. was probably pretty good for me. Prime deft. The thing about prime deft is that he always sucked in laning phase in LCK. So before he went to China, he was just like in laning phase. So I don't think he got better. He, once can, be, went to he China. can be taken from the LPL though, can't he? So that's true. <laughs> it's just a prime year. That's true. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. Uh, that would be a fun video. That would be a fun video we can do in the off season. That's yeah, there's a good, a good off season one. Should write some of these ones down, and we'll do like maybe we'll do like an expanded viewer questions in the off season. Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, we we might just uh, take suggestions from subscribers for these videos, and we'll pick some. Uh, which esports do you guys think would benefit greatly by switch into pure showmanship? I mean, like, it's basically a discussion like WWE. I was about yeah, you mean small, like, you know, you just you choose what matchups to make for narratives and stuff, I'm guessing. I mean, which esports? I, I Look, any Battle Royale game is going to benefit from being pure showmanship. Imagine if you had, like, WWE-style uh, promos, and especially as teams got eliminated from the match and could talk mad shit to each other. I think Battle Royales suffer from not being the most spectator-friendly viewer experience but they are very exciting because people do get eliminated right and are out of the game and i think the way that they've done um they've done battle royale in terms of point accumulation especially in apex legends and then having a bunch of teams basically being on match point and seeing who the first team to win is it's not the best competitive format but it sure as hell is an entertaining showmanship format so why not just go the rest of the way like apex legends would be pretty fun just as wwe I mean, just CSGO and League would both be awesome. The reason CSGO would be great is because it has so many amazing long narratives because there's great players that have been good for 10 years. And so, like, for example, you have the matchup of, like, Carrigan against Nico, the former teammates. You have, like, people who played in the same... You could do fucking Zewu against Simple, all these classic ones. But I think League would also be another good one because the problem with League is because you have so many limited opportunities to play against each other. Like, as we always bemoan every year, there's always a great matchup, a minimum one or two. You just don't get it well. You, just, you wait for it. You never you want to see oh, i want to see right jdg against change it never happens that matched up doesn't happen this time you know so but our life goes in it right i i'm i'm more approaching this from a theoretical perspective of like how would you structure in an esport in wwe and the other reason why i think that a battle royale especially a team-based one like apex legends would be really interesting is because you could have teams form unofficial alliances in the game so it's like they if they drop near each other you could script it so they drop near each other and then they act as a six-man team just by not shooting each other or one team betrays the other one right or they team up to hunt another team down i think you could do some really wacky narratives within a game of apex legends if you could script it in in a limited sense i think it'd be really crazy one thing you could obviously do is if we were going to go WWE on League of Legends, you would instantly just make the Super League we've discussed in the past. Like, oh, yeah. Look, it'd be shit for the development of the scenes, but I don't care about that personally. So to <laughs> me, the spectacle would be insane to have like JDG oh, yeah. and G2 and fucking Cloud all in one league. And then every week they're playing and everyone in the world's tuning in. That Like the fucking drama would be amazing. That'd be great. And if it's WWE every now and then, because you can just do have a job or win, you just have fucking C9 win for no reason. 
Just fucking, <laughs> what, what the hell? Like, yeah, exactly. Tune in next week, bitch. <laughs> I love That'll it. That'll be the shit. Over the years, my favorite segments have always been the stories, varying bad esports events, player stories, and insider drama spread out over all those episodes y'all have done. Would you consider a Four Horsemen-style show with the usual crew plus a special guest to talk about untold stories or go over told ones with a new perspective to give some of the esports newbies some of the taste we got all those years? I mean, one of the shows I've wanted Richard to do is basically a sit-down show one-on-one with Richard and a guest to go over all of the old esports bullshit stories with the OGs. Um, You know, there is a statute of limitations on, like, we could talk about weird shit that went on 10 years ago and it's fine at this point in time. Not going to ruin anybody's career or anything like that. I do think we should do more of this kind of content. I mean, we could do a four horsemen show on the worst esports events of all time. That would be fucking hilarious. Oh. It would be fucking hilarious. No, we should, probably should do one of those. <laughs> Uh, Through listening to your shows over the years, I've been introduced to a lot of new media, whether it's Dune or more recently Cosmic Horror as a genre. Are there any people or content creators that have done the same for you? I think it's mostly just friends. I I mean, if you mean like all of history, then I I actually generally, that's the sort of people I am very interested in in general. People like... I mean, essentially syncretists like Joseph Campbell, Robert Anton Wilson, Colin Wilson. These are all people where all their work was like taking all the things they're interested in, like combining it in their work. So I do find people like that very interesting. I will say as well, like the thing I like about critics, I mentioned this on a past one, I can't remember if it was this show where they were asking me like if there's any like film critic I like. I don't like film critics because I agree with them. I like it because I get to know their perspective. And so it means that it's not even that I'm using them as a review. I sometimes actually like to watch the review from the film critic after I've watched the movie to see like, oh, he got like a totally different angle to me or he took he liked this part and I didn't. So in general, I actually, that's usually how I use most people. I'm usually looking for what recommendations they have. So I would say that's most, most of the people I'm into are doing that shit. Yeah, otherwise it's friends uh, who recommend stuff for the most part. You know, you get to know people who you trust in terms of their taste. Uh, and that's about it. I, I wouldn't say there's example, like... Because right? one thing I hate is, I actually, the reason you have to know the person before their opinion on the art has any value is because otherwise, like you're saying, how can you actually, you have to know referentially what else they liked and didn't like. So I'll give you an example. For some reason, with big blockbuster movies, I always get painted as a contrarian because for some reason, the default take of the plebs is always like the opposite to me. Like, I don't know if you heard this, but loads of people online were saying like, oh, that Oppenheimer movie is actually a bit boring. It's too long. I thought it was mega, mate. It's really good. I didn't even have crazy expectations. Even though I'm like a big Nola fan, I just thought it might just be all right. You know, who knows? Because I wasn't particularly interested in the topic. The actual movie's fucking mega. It was like one of the better movies I've seen in years. Yeah, it's really good. I, I actually, uh, uh, Thor and I went out and watched it on the IMAX 70 millimeter because I, I have the opportunity. Well. Yeah. Um, well, there's, did you see it on the 70 millimeter or I just IMAX? There's only like 30 theaters in the world that have the the film print 70 millimeter on the IMAX. And so there's a couple here in LA. And so I got to see it on that. It was amazing. But yeah, definitely worth seeing it on the biggest screen you can either way, uh, depending on what's available to you. But yeah, it was really fun. Really good movie, I thought. Really good. Um, uh, last episode, you mentioned your ideal LFN future would involve building content into topics outside of esports. As the LFN team expands to meet this vision, what qualities or skills typify the current team that you want the future LFN talent to possess? Uh, well, the re- now you may ask yourself, why are we doing and why is our goal to produce a bunch of non-esports content with esports content creators? 
right? That's a very interesting way to approach things. But one of the theories that I have that we are going to see whether it bears fruit or not is that esports casters have a very unique skill set that is not mirrored by other people, which is that because of the kind of low budget of the industry historically compared to traditional sports where casters are fed, spoon fed everything by producers. And it's a very structured broadcast for the most part because of the amount of money that goes into it, the level of professionalism, all of the breaks that it takes for commercials, et cetera, et cetera. Esports casters have a very unique ability, which is the ability to speak for five or six hours at a time with very low production, be entertaining, provide all of their own prep as talent, uh, and be insightful. And so because of the unstructured nature of esports, if you have these qualities, you can apply these qualities to different forms of media or to different areas. And what this does is it cuts costs. So we can produce content for a much lower cost because we don't need very serious advanced production because we are used to doing the work ourselves. And so that is one factor. And the other factor is just having interests outside of esports that you are exploring deeply and that you are excited and want to talk about. Uh, I mean, I've been really happy with the way our culture channel and, you know, the sports channel had been turning out so far because all of us have other interests. And it's, so it's about finding the people who can apply these skills to their own interests in a deep and informative and entertaining manner, as well as having the ability to do unscripted entertaining content for hours and hours and hours. Right. So I would think those are the skills that we want people to possess. Also just a, you know, self-motivated drive to succeed and a, a sense of collaboration and teamwork to grow the business. Right. What I've would got you want? Three qualities I I put down, and I'm basically using this based on people I've worked with in the past. This is the ones I decide. One would be to be a team player, and what I mean by that is not just the idea. It's not like the fucked up corporate American culture thing of like just do whatever we say, and never complain. When I say a team player, I mean understand that when you do a show, the show is more important than you. There's one thing people never understood about what I've done in CSGO as an analyst. Dude, I've let people take a W on me a million times when I could have just clapped back and tried to do some smart retort. But sometimes it wasn't appropriate. Like in that moment, they needed a W sometimes, Monty. All the show just needed to end at right. that moment. There wasn't time to spin another topic out and so you just had to let it happen. So essentially, when I say I want people who are a team player, I'll give you an example. I'm going to give an example for each of the qualities. The reason I like to work with Dom isn't even things like he was a former pro, he has lots of game knowledge, he's watched all that. Those are all great qualities. The number one thing that Dom was able to prove to me, this is why I've worked with him all these years, because he didn't used to have this, by the way, is Dom used to be like a lot of people on Twitter where he would argue, but he would argue just to donk on you. He would just be like, ah, oh, what are you talking about, bro? Like, what the fuck? He'd done that to me and Monty loads of times back in the day. But what he realized with me in particular was, I don't respond to that. Like, if you do that, I'll just stop talking to you. You just annoy me at that point in time. So instead, what he was able to do, this is why we did the crack down and then did those other shows is he's actually able to have a discussion instead of arguing about stuff that's a really mad underrated quality in esports like it's why i do stuff with maui snake as well because i want people where even if they think like if like for example if i think rookie is better than faker the debate can't be that I'm just a moron for two hours because I said rookie. Like, that's not interesting to me. There's nothing to be gained from that. I, I'm not here to win in the... So I, I think Dom does an amazing job of that. If you just go and watch the episode where we debate about Bjergsen and Doublelift, like, it's fucking fire, mate. Like, it's about 100 times more interesting than if we'd have just done, like, a Destiny versus some idiot person from the Manosphere debate on YouTube. Like, <laughs> you, you, you haven't even read any... 
peer-reviewed sources. Like, that's garbage. So there's one, team player. Then how about, like you said, self-motivated is massive. I don't want to be the person who's like your mum calling you. Like, have you done this? What about well, if you want the money, you need to complete this? No, I get people who already did shit before I even worked them. Like, the reason I got Maui Snake with all the stuff in CSGO is because when he was nobody, he was creating loads of YouTube videos. Then when he started working with me, he's the one who wants to do more shows and schedule more and tell me. Like, if he's at an event, the other CSGO talent will just, like, hope you don't contact them so they can go have a beer. He'll be contacting me, like, look, I've got a day off in three days. Like, we could do a show. Yep. That's the people you want to work with. And then the last quality is my number one thing I want with all content creators, because it's what I enjoy watching, is you have to have your own unique, coherent perspective. Now, I don't care whether I agree or not. So I'll give you an example from CSGO if you know the guy. I don't think Kassad's, like, the best analyst, but he's got a mega distinct perspective. And it's <laughs> in some ways, it's funny. In some ways, it's just on brand for who he is. But it means I can drop him into a show, and I know that it's going to be awesome because he's not going to have the same takes as everyone else. And it's not that we're and we're not sitting back cynically going, "Well, that's my takes." So you have to no, no. He's always just going to have his own takes and his own like domain over here. So there's my three qualities: team player, self motivated, and unique perspective. You notice, by the way, and this is a lesson I had to learn. I didn't put in any of those qualities. Be really amazing at talking. Have great points. Be really funny. No, no. Because here's the sad thing: I had to learn myself. If you're young, you think that's all that matters. Like, how good I am at the game? Like, oh, but no, no, that's actually the least important thing. Because there's loads of people who are good at the game, mate. There's loads yep. of people who have funny points. There's loads of people who are good on camera. But the qualities are just listed. Team player, self-motivated. And you, those are worth their weight in gold, mate. Those are the ones that actually carry your fucking talent. Especially because the principal way to have content succeed is just to be disciplined enough to continue to put it out on a regular basis. It really is that joke of like half of success is turning up. Yep. The joke so is, I, I always <laughs> say this, the saddest thing about my career is, motherfucker, I wish I had some rivals. I left my rivals like 5,000 videos ago. It's actually pathetic. Like, it doesn't, I've always said this. It doesn't matter if you think someone did a better video than me. Well, then I did 3,000 videos and they didn't even do any videos. So I right. win. Like, that's actually <laughs> the saddest part about this industry. It's why, by the way, I had to realize a few years ago, Monty, 99% of why people in the industry constantly stalk drama on Twitter is because that's the only way they can ever feel better than someone else. They can't actually be better at their job. They, can, they don't have the actual platform to be good at their job. So instead, what they do is their logic goes like this well I can never do more in esports than Richard Lewis but if I could make it seem like Richard Lewis is an a corrupt piece of shit then I'm better than him that's like their whole fucking game mate. it's actually yep. sad because you'd hope in the industry there'd be all these brilliant people but instead we're in some sort of fucked up Ayn Rand novel where there's like 10 people do all the work in the industry and 10,000 sit back going well I'm not doing anything but I think he's a piece of shit it's like brilliant what a good industry this is guys awesome. well and that's what that's why I am confident in our ability to succeed outside of esports because even in the worlds that we're going into like tv and film sports general gaming i mean i find it difficult to believe that we cannot outwork some of these other people who are in these fields because people well, mate, get it was it was totally implied to me when me and richard were at turner that like this is why richard one day did plan to do that like we could have just stayed there and left the esports and just kept working for their tv station like they just thought the skill set was legit yes yeah. And so, I mean, I look at some of the other big channels that do some of the kind of content that we're doing, and I will just tell you that we will be more disciplined, put out more regular content, and, you know, eventually that will yield its rewards, right? And the content's really good. I mean, go go look at the Last Free Nation culture and go look at the sports channel. This is really good content, guys. Like, I'm very proud of what we're building on this channel, and I think the content is excellent. So... 
it'll get there. It'll get there. We've already seen a lot of good growth. So especially for new channels. But thank you for your support if you guys are watching that content. And by the way, the most recent uh, movie review was, was it the Annihilation one? Uh, Event Horizon. Event Horizon. That one just came out like two days ago or something, right? Yesterday, yeah, I think. Or two days ago, maybe. Yeah, it was great. There's going to be a new Nerd Legion later today. There you go. About how shit Secret Invasion is. Get me out of modern TV, guys. Uh, next, who's your men's tennis goat? Not a question for me. That's a question for Thornton. <laughs> I mean, again, I'll do the same thing I did before. I don't think you should actually just immediately go to one name. Like, I think this is incredibly subjective. So, like, I actually do think on this one, you could probably make a list of about at least five or six people. Like, there's some, the problem, again, is you have to put it in era. So, for example, here's the problem, Monty, right? It was always very convenient when it was just Federer and then when it was just Federer and Nadal, right? Here's the problem. As someone who doesn't watch tennis, Monty, would it, would it at all seem suspicious to you that the only three players to ever win 20 Grand Slams all play in the exact same time period of history where the certain tech is at a certain level for the racket right the courts are all very similar sports science has gone to it like what's the what are the odds you know what i mean like it's actually if, if fans don't get it it's worse that three of them did it because it actually implies the era made it so you could be more consistent in a way you couldn't be in the past whereas if you don't know in the 90s in tennis it had every style like every surface was radically different like the difference between like the french clay open clay court of the french open and the wimbledon grass was insanely different like you couldn't play from the baseline in grass. You had to play serve and volley. You play always from the baseline on clay. So it made the game so different that like no one would be in every Grand Slam final. Whereas in the modern day, everything is homogenous enough that the best player is just the best player. Like there's a reason why Djokovic, yeah, yeah. Federer, now, they're in like all the finals. So the problem is, the short version is I would probably say Federer, but it's not because of number of Grand Slams. I just think he actually was the best player. If I look how he played, styles, eras. But I do think as well, the people that get mad underrated are all the people not from this era because everyone looks at the Grand Slams and goes, it must be those three. Like people like Pete Sampras should immediately be in the conversation. People like fucking Lendl back in the day, Borg. These are all fucking insane players. But I would plump for Federer. I think in every area I care about, he's just the best. Aesthetically, he's the best. He had all the shots. He was a fucking insane player for like, what, 15 years or something? He was just mega. And he has, in my opinion, two of the most impossible records that will never be beaten in tennis. They are actually impossible. One is he actually played in 10 straight Grand Slam finals without a break. And this is an even better one. He was in 23 straight Grand Slam semifinals. Like, no one will ever wow. beat that record. That is actually impossible. <laughs> Nobody, like, even, but it's a joke, which is one more grand slam. He'll never do that, like, because 23 semis in a row is impossible, I'm telling you guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't even believe one guy did that. So it, there's my goat. I'll take that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, have have either of you read Marion Zimmer Bradley's Avalon series? Any thoughts on the depiction of the King Arthur stories as a conflict between pagan religions and Christianity? I, I have not read it. I know they, I know of them. I have not read them. Um, I've read a bunch of the original texts for King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, but not the the novel series. Uh, which would you rather be, a cretin, a grifter, or the insect from Kafka's Metamorphosis? I mean, the joke is at least the insect used to be a man. <laughs> exactly. So, it has some level of integrity. So I think of those choices... I think in theory, shouldn't the choice just be cretin? Because there's one thing that's very underrated about me. You're blameless way. as a cretin. 
Yeah, that's that's the point. <laughs> One thing that is very underrated about me is people act like I just hate stupid people. That's nonsense. I'm actually a very kind person to stupid people. What I don't like is people who are obnoxious and stupid. If you're just someone who's, who doesn't have much brain capacity, like I even let these people on my Discord, there's guys there where I'm like, look, I actually think this guy's a fucking moron. But he's not rude. He's not obnoxious. He just has opinions that I think are whack. Like, I'm fine with that. So actually, I don't think there's any crime in being a cretin. I actually think that's one of the stupidest things people do is where their whole take is like, look, they're not in any way better in life, but they're just smarter than someone. Like, that's like being proud of being tall, you fucking moron. What can you do with it? It's the question, right? <laughs> you can still be useful as a cretin. Let's put it that way. You, you could be a lovely person and be a cretin. Uh, is there a precise... I was so heart- tempted to say some names there. <laughs> Don't do it. Is there a precise heartbreaking moment slash event where you truly realized esports must die? I mean, I mean, I would just say the obvious whole Flashpoint project was pretty black pill, Monty. If people yeah. don't remember, here's what happened, right? We took over a league called Flashpoint that was going to, it did, give away $2 million. And because in the end it didn't get the top teams, we essentially, just as Flashpoint alone, were funding the whole NA scene of CSGO. Now, in exchange for our good deed, what was our punishment we received? We were told we ruined Counter-Strike. By the way, nothing we did took away from the scene. It only added. As yep. I said, in a time when ESL essentially consigned fucking NA to die like fucking Frankenstein's monster on that raft of ice at the end of the fucking book. Spoiler, you've never read the book. <laughs> in that scenario, all we did is positive, but it was actually treated because people just didn't like me and Monty as people. Like we utterly failed in every sense. And even though my job are you ready guys the title of my job was creative director and people used to literally blame me for things like the bracket not being right in an online qualifier right when you actually experience that when you experience that you've done something unquestionably positive and it is treated that you're the worst piece of shit incompetent failure ever it actually just makes you not think like oh i should think less of my you just think why would i waste my time with this industry you know what you can all fucking burn i don't care it's why by the way if you've noticed that's why i was always going to be the huckleberry to take down all these pro players with this LCS walkout. Because after seeing how pro players treated me as a journalist, then as someone in orgs trying to help them, fuck pro players forever. Every time there's a chance to show these morons what cretins they are and dunk on how stupid they are, I am going to take it. I am going to be their fucking nemesis. I'm so sick of, like, pro player egos. Well, you know, it's also that um, having a successful team-owned league should have been the most important thing to esports fans because it would be a proof of concept. It would be a proof of concept of why the developers shouldn't run esports, which is the most important thing is that the developers should not run esports. And unfortunately with the failure of this, now the developers can just throw that in the team's faces until from now until the end of time. So it's very disappointing in many ways. I didn't you think the way it was received was the bomb? It's one thing that we had all the problems, didn't get the tickets. It's also the way, the way people treated us was just the most pathetic part, mate. It's also the production was extremely good. And as we said in Flashpoint 2, I don't think there has been more interesting content that has come out of one tournament that wasn't the games itself than in that tournament. We had tons of people are so stupid that they don't even get that if they like ESL skits now, thank us, you fucking idiot. That's yeah, we forced us. them to do it. We forced them to do it, basically. And they were terrible at first, also. They're better now. Uh, With how weak Europe has been recently, do you think the NA fourth scene could be a favorite coming into the last world spot competition? I don't know if I'd say favorite. You're pushing the ball a bit there. It could be a shit match where they're both bad. I'll give you that. It it could be a hilarious 
dumpster fire. Uh, but no, I don't think they'll be the, the the NA team will be the favorite unless something crazy happens, like Golden Guardians is fall for something. Unless that yes. happens, as long as it is like NRG or EG or something, I think actually it, Europe's probably a mild favorite. It's just that the team from Europe is probably going to be whacked too. What are three main lessons a father must teach his son? Ooh, deep. Um, let's, let's see here. Uh, I think that you should probably teach your son that integrity is actually the most important virtue to have as a human being. Um, because you can never, you know, once you have integrity, it is something that stays with you for the rest of your life and is something that must constantly be worked on and maintained. And people's expectations of you form their most of their opinion about you. And so if you are true to your own values and you are predictable and reliable in that way, it will lead you to have a good life. I think if you are ethically whole. Um, so I think that's very important. I think that in the same vein of integrity, making sure that you do the things that you say you're going to do and you follow through on your word and your commitments is extremely important. And a sense of duty is very important. I mean, a lot of this stuff just comes from my interest in chivalry, but having, having the, having the ability to follow through and do your duty, even when you don't want to do it, because it's very easy in the modern world simply to shirk your responsibilities. But having a sense that you must complete the task no matter what, I think is very, very important uh, to navigating the world. Um, well, that's two, right? You need three. That's two. And I think also that, uh, you know, again, going back to chivalry, that kindness to those who are weaker than you is extremely important. Um, I think that... That is one of the the core virtues that I would say being you you seek your I think you seek your own strength as a man and you should constantly be trying to improve your strength, whether it's intellectually, philosophically, in terms of accumulating wisdom, physical strength. But the purpose to that strength is to protect people who are weaker than you. And I think that is a very core ideal. Oh, my three would be these. I would say one is you should instill in them a reverence for their ancestors because what I never understood was the function of that. Is not only does it allow you to actually know who you are and where you come from, but also the reason why that is so key is because when you're young, yeah, maybe you you are just some punk who gives a fuck what they think. No, no. The reason you care what people think is because they're going to think badly of your family name and your fucking ancestors and people who put you in that position. I think that's a key because it essentially forces a level of responsibility that you know you don't just represent yourself. You represent your name and your people and your place you come from. Then I'd also say I would, I would say you should teach them some kind of a craft because in my opinion from observing men, some of them is men and women are very different, is I think what men's purpose in, in uh, not the family version, but like internally for themselves comes from like doing some kind of a craft or some kind of a mission or something that they're trying to like keep applying themselves to, trying to improve in, trying to be good at, trying to express themselves through. And then the third one would be, this is essentially to tie into the idea of family, would be 
the ultimate goal, in, especially if it's like a father-son scenario, is one day they are going to surpass you in the most literal sense of they're going to become the father or the patriarch or the head of the family. So what, one of the things I observe in the modern world that I think is the, one of the worst things is how many people are like 35 and they're a fan of some fucking sports star like that was their dad. They're just looking for a dad. It's the reason people like people like Andrew, they're just looking for a dad, mate. Like they're looking yep. for some male figure to be like, the, well, the point is once you get to a certain age, you're supposed to be become that person for yourself and your family. So in the same way as hopefully your father is that to you, you're going to one day understand like some Superman fucking movie narrative of like, you will become the father and then you will see them through your eyes and you'll pass this whole narrative down. And it's not only, I would make an additional argument to that point, which is that it's not only for your own family, because I think it's important that young men go and have other male role models that are not their father, but you still have to have or father-like qualities to be a role model for another young man, if that makes sense, right? And sure. so you need to develop these qualities, even for people who are outside of your family. So, there you go. Agree. Uh, why can't certain people realize calling something fiction does not make it okay? I don't you're know what that means. More, you're going to have some context to that. What does that even mean? What do you mean calling What's weird something? You've done that thing. I'll give you a bit of joke because no one will give a fuck about this. You've done what DDK used to do to me at events where he would walk up to me at the after party and he would just pick up a conversation he had with me three months earlier. Like, you know, the other thing about Quake is I'd be like, whoa, what the f- <laughs> Bro, what are you talking about? Like, that, whatever you're talking about was in your head from months ago. I, 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 I can't like skip. And previously, on episode issue 17 of DDK, like... Like, what am I doing? So you got to give us the context of that. What, what, like, I don't, I can't even penetrate that. It, it, that it, said, it said in brackets, uh, separating fiction from reality. Ask again. I don't know what that means. Uh, there could I, be many different like ways. It sounds like he's almost implying that if you like make, like, I'll give you an example. Say you're Thomas Harris and you write like, the books about Hannibal. In a way, you are almost in a pornographic way, like fantasizing about being a serial killer. Do you know? I almost sure. think he's implying like that's bad in some way, which I don't necessarily totally disagree with. Like, one thing I do think is a take that I used to have that's totally wrong is I used to be the guy who was like, it's just a movie, bro. It's like, actually, as far as I can tell, fiction, bearing in mind it's symbols, which therefore affect your mind and everything you think about in the world are actually the most powerful thing in the world. So it isn't just a movie. Like, I have, to, I have to say there are certain movies I would unwatch, not because they're bad movies like in terms of content, but because like, there's certain disturbing things I'd actually rather not ever have thought about in my mind or certain <laughs> sure. fucking really dark plots that I maybe wouldn't want to think about or embrace as a memory in my mind, you know? Uh, can LCK actually win Worlds and without an LPL team imploding at a convenient time? Sure. I mean, there's always like an LCK team that's a contender, right? JT Rolster could win Worlds, definitely. JT could win. It's not outrageous. Do I think they're the favorite? No, I don't. I don't. But it's not like they have a 0% chance of winning. They might have like a 15% chance of winning. Remember, you've always got to shade in as well. There is a pretty insane fucking record of number one seed from LPL just shitting the bed immediately. Like, that can happen. (laughs) It can happen to anyone, apparently. Anyone. I think the depth is better in the LPL, at least this year, from what I've seen. But yeah, I mean, it's not like LCK and Gen.G can't win Worlds. I mean, look at fucking DRX. How the fuck did they win worlds? You get the right patch, man. Sometimes wacky shit can happen. And, and by the way, guys, it's not that DRX didn't deserve to win worlds. They did deserve to win worlds. They beat really good teams. They beat the teams that were put in front of them. They had a very legitimate win. Were they patch zergs? Yes, they were. But that's just how that's how esports rolls, man. I don't know. <laughs> in an alternate timeline where G2 beats FPX 3-0 to win worlds, how are the players' careers different? And is the region viewed differently as a result? 
I mean, sure. I mean, almost certainly, like the view, the way it would be viewed would be very different. Like, first of all, people forget that. Like, I've heard people for real talk. This happened at the Esports Awards when I was there. People talked like it wasn't even debatable that G2 was the team of the year. Like, it had to be FPX because they won LPL and then Worlds. Like, what? So to me, it's like they lost one series the whole year, guys. Like, that was an unbelievable year. So I think in some ways it is underrated. In terms of like, sadly, it would have, I mean, this already happened on a lesser level, but it would have actually ruined Europe as a region because you already saw the Bozos. They already did it on the LEC broadcast. They used to talk like the whole region was G2, mate. Like, remember, all it was was G2 was insane. Fnatic was pretty good. And then whoever was third, Splice Fighter, who gives a shit? Like, you don't, it doesn't even matter. But they would talk like everyone was G2. Like, wow, and now the whole regions have been chicked upside down. They haven't. There was one <laughs> team was doing it, mate. So I do think people would have said that Europe was on the best in the world, as it? whereas it was really one team. In terms of, like, right. the players' careers, I don't know if it changed their careers, really. I think probably, I mean, they already had as much success as you could have, right? Yeah. I mean, they won MSI, right? So it's <laughs> like... Uh, I, I think he probably wouldn't have done a lot. Detail, which is, to be fair, because I did do an interview with him, he did tell me this. Jankos did say if he had have won Worlds, he would have said he was the best player in the world as a jungler, which I think is sick. By the way, that would who's going to talk shit on him? If you fucking win from a non Asian region as jungler and you are a really, you probably should say you're the fucking goat, mate. That's sick. I would. Wonder is now a free agent. What do you think of putting him on Team Heretics for next year? If not this move, uh, what other moves would you use to GMTH to a top four finish next year? I don't know if Wonder really wants to play anymore, man. Like, I don't get that vibe from him. Maybe he does. I mean, that would uh, be a great I, move, though. It would be a very good move. I think you, like, with the the flacketed Mercer bot lane, I think you put a carry top in there. Might be interesting. Might be interesting. Here's the thing, though. I'll tell you the team that I think is a better move than that, though. Put him on uh, fucking BDS, mate. Yeah, if there was ever a true. player tailor-made to be a better version of Adam, play and even carry picks in top with no resources needed, might even get killed. Dude, it's, it would just be like, upgrade the team tomorrow. That would be mega. In the same way you have the concept of team eras in CS, what, if any, eras would you say have there been for broadcast talent in CS and LOL? So we're talking about talent eras. Does it, the problem with that is I can't tell whether he means like specific people. It was their era when they were on top. Or does he mean like stylistically? Like, for example, back in the day, it used to just be commentators. And it was just two commentators. It wasn't even play-by-play of color. Right. And then it would be like, you know, That's when true. there was TriCast and there was the desk. Right. So what does he mean in that sense, do you think? I think we can make it up. Uh, it's true, though. I mean, there were eras, obviously, in both Counter-Strike and LoL, where it was like, you know, Joe Miller and D-Man, which were two play-by-play guys together who were very popular at the time. And the same thing happened in, in Counter-Strike back in the day before you started to have more analysts. casual. Like back then, yeah. the concept of analysis wasn't really a thing. It was analysis was something they did anyway after the map, basically. Like it was all about like just tell people what they see on the screen. Like it was just simple, casual fun, right? Yeah. Because for me, if you want to, if you want to expand this concept, it was people like Monty and Deficio who changed the game. Crepole to some degree as a player, like these were people who didn't just come on broadcast as I'm an analyst. They also came with like I am a pundit with a perspective. Crepole had the whole thing of like I'm gonna explain some mechanics of yep. how like this happens with the support champion and the itemization. That stuff was big for me because it actually changed league to what it is now. Like, don't you think to yourself sometimes that like, it's crazy how big LS is? Dude, Ella, yeah. you remember this? Even in like season eight, dude, people were hating on this guy, some niche guy off over yeah, yeah. here. It's crazy he became like number one, but that's because what the, some of the success of people like our content is it flipped the script. Everyone went from just being a casual who supported him for fun to everyone has to pretend they're like some fucking mage wizard who's super <laughs> deep in the game and knows all that. Because that's like, that became the cool thing, bizarrely, as yeah. fans in league, didn't it? Well, I think it, it also 
because of people like me and Deficio, it opened the door to people like Ellis. And especially because, you know, you and I featured Ellis on our content and gave him a wider platform. And also Ellis has a very good work ethic and grant, you know, he hard grinded his way, deserves everything he got. Um, but yeah, it, and and then also as long, you know, the longer you wait and pro players retire, eventually most pro players are not going to be good casters either because they lack the work ethic once they're no longer players to keep up with the meta. So, you know, a lot of pro players I find are very good for a year or two after they retire. But when the meta moves too far away from when they're playing, they're not going to put the time in to grind the film to keep up with the changes. And so they end up getting kind of stale after a while uh, because they're not used to the film grind. Um, you know, or, you know, a long enough timeline, you get people who are former professional players who are actually also charismatic because that's the other problem is sure. You can know a lot about the game, but can you express the game very well via words and are you entertaining? So, but if you wait long enough, eventually you'll start to get a few of those people like filtering in, um, like Dom and Cajal are very good examples of that. Technically, the last era, obviously, now is the core stream era. Like, let's be real, yes. core stream is where it's at. It's not the broadcast anymore. Yeah, that's where you can make money. Like, it's pointless to want to be an esports caster, especially in League of Legends. In Counter Strike, it's still pretty legit because you there are multiple tournament operators, so you actually have leverage for your pay. Um, you know, ESL and Blast are more generous about handing out co-streaming if you are a caster maybe not attending their event they'll generally give it to you and be pretty cool about it whereas riot they just cuck all of their casters and it's like they won't obviously like they won't let cajal have lcs co-streaming like this is they're just dicks man and also the co-streamers make literally like four or five times as much money as as the casters and there's a monopoly so the casters can never negotiate better rates it, you do not want to be a league of legends caster right now it is a it is a prison it is a prison um, and it's a dead end in terms of career path. Uh, from the banter give and go episode where Thorne talks about Oscar Robinson and others he never saw play, who is your favorite historical athlete from before your time? I've always loved Jackie Stewart and Jim Clark as personal favorites and F1 GOAT candidates. Who is Jim Clark, by the way? What sport is that I don't know. From? F1, I know I Jackie guess. Robinson's like obviously fucking business. No, Jackie player. Stewart and Jim Clark as personal oh, favorites. The, a Formula F One, right? Okay. Yeah, F1 GOAT candidates. Ah, fair enough. Okay. I mean, I, I think Jackie Robinson is a legit answer, though, just because I think he's a fascinating human being uh, and the circumstances in which he was playing baseball were really, really interesting. Um, I don't know. Is there any like really NFL player that. from the old days that you're interested in that you never saw? I'm trying to think. Um, because what's mad is if people don't know, there are some really crazy NFL ones from like when they actually had the leather helmets where like right. there's some guys where like, you know, when they never even threw the ball, <laughs> the but like 30s. Some, of, some of the like wide receivers that still have like insane record or like, I mean, obviously Jim Brown's yeah. a classic one, right? Yeah, like, Jim Brown. Sounds, yeah. Like, sounds like he was like 1v9 in the fucking whole league or whatever. Right. That's a good one. I don't know. I think Jim Brown's a pretty good one. Uh, you know, Jackie Robinson's a good one. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Babe Ruth, pretty interesting historically. Uh, Willie Mays, a lot of baseball ones, especially because, you know, I'm not a big baseball fan, but baseball does have an insane history. Like the history cool. of baseball is incredibly interesting. Is incredible. I mean, my pick would be those stories where like the Aztecs, because obviously I come from England, so football, where they were playing football with human heads. Remember that story? <laughs> then with fucking pioneers. Historical there, athletes. Yeah. How, about, exactly. how about the Native Americans that yeah. were playing lacrosse on like an eight mile long field? That's actually where the <laughs> saying, get your head in the game comes from. So, a little long fact there. <laughs> this is, lies, lies with Thorin. 
<laughs> I should do a series like Thorin's inaccurate history, you know, like I just make up the history. It's like the like drunk history, if you remember that one. I've noticed there's a striking commonality that exists among the following players. Kuzan, Kyuve, Kana, Sword Art, Levi, and Han Sama. Can you guess what it is? And it's black. The answer is here, but it's blacked out. So I'd have Wait to... Wait a second. Say, say the list again. Kuzan. Kuzan, Kyuve, Kana, Sword Art, Levi, Han Sama. All Asian. <laughs> sure. I'm just going to click on it. I think I've, oh. I think I've won that one, haven't I? Go on. All right. They're anime-based nicknames. Kuzan is from One Piece. Kyuve is from Magical Girl Madoka Magica. It's a real Kana yeah. from the Maid Dragon. Sword Art is from Sword Art Online. That is, I've only seen... This is the only one I've seen. It's garbage. Okay. Uh, oh, Levi from Attack on Titan. Yes. And Hansama is... Sama is Lord in, in Japanese. All right. Is that actually where Levi comes from, though? Or is it just a coincidence? Because didn't he play a long time? Sure, it was before Attack on Titan. Maybe I'm wrong. But the manga of Attack on Titan's been out for a while. Oh, right. Yes, that'll be right then. Okay. So, so basically, here's what's great about that question is you actually came up with something that wasn't at all interesting, but you thought it was. So well done. <laughs> Keep paying, I guess. <laughs> Thorin's side channel has a great video from six years ago showing his appreciation for Joe Rogan's mentality, which focuses pursuing multiple interests purely based on the interest itself and not on the rewards it could bring. Shout out Thorin's underrated side channel. Uh, curious if either of you be interested in doing Joe Rogan's podcast if the opportunity came away. Yes, just for promotion for our own content, guys. I would fucking do Joe Rogan's podcast. I'd be pimping out all of our non-esports content like hell. Yeah, of course. It'd be very interesting. Thing is, though, I wouldn't do what all of you want me to do. You all want me to go on like nothing and explain esports to Joe Rogan. I, I can't think of anything less interesting. What I would do is I'd go on Monty and I'd smoke loads of weed with him. And then I would go, okay, Joe, now we are going to go deep on the conspiracy shit, homie. And I would make it so that it would actually be one of the banned episodes. It'd be too good. It'd be too fucking good. Make an international incident. That would be, be fun. There is a part of like Richard and Monty that has always understood they might one day wake up to a thing of like, oh, Thorin's been on Joe Rogan and caused an international incident. Like, that, yep, that, there's always, there was always on the table. It was always it's possible. Over. That it's over. It's yeah, over. Basically, it, it's Jover. It's Jover. Yeah. Thanks to it's, Joe Rogan. It doesn't all. It doesn't always go right like the shack. It could go really badly wrong. It could be like unfiltered, but me and Joe Rogan basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it'd be. I think it'd be interesting to be on a show for sure. Um, and also, just to the mentality about it pursuing multiple... Seems like a really multiple... cool guy as well. Like, I, I bet he's the best guy yeah, ever to go with for the, for the steak with after the show or whatever. He sounds cool yeah. as fuck to me. Uh, and also the point about focusing purely on multiple interests based on the interest itself. Guys, neither Thorne and I thought esports would ever be this big. We pursued our esports interest just because we found it interesting, not because we thought the industry was going to blow up. There was no way in the years before like 2011, 2012, when Twitch was exploding. Like you have to remember, Thorne and I had already done many years of work in the industry prior to that point in time. We were, it just happened. It just happened. I never thought I would get a full-time job doing esports content until the OGN offer came in 2012. I didn't do anything in pursuit of that. It just happened because of my interest. Uh, first of all, thank you for all the amazing content you provide for us. You're welcome. Secondly, I'd like to ask you about the importance of discipline and patience for pro players in and outside of the game. Is If possible, draw some players between LCK and LCS pros. Look, man, there are no physical limitations on League of Legends. The more film you grind and the more of the game you play, the better you're going to be. It's a game, it, unlike sports, it's a game you can play 17 hours a day. It, it doesn't lead to a balanced lifestyle. No, but that's just, that. it's just how it is. There's always going to be somebody who works harder than you. I mean, and that's I would what it just takes say, to be the best. 
being as a bit like I said about talent, there's always going to be loads of people with talent. There's going to be people who are really good and fast and click things and can do all the mechanics. So the problem is discipline usually is actually the thing that's going to make you the best. Like this, like for example, if you want to talk about like great top laders, the reason, look, if you're talking like raw prime for one game, maybe you'd take the shy. But if I had to take their whole career, I'd take Smeb in a heartbeat because look at who the yes. player is in comparison to that. Like the discipline is actually the most, un it's sadly people don't want to hear it because they know it means work hard and be diligent and keep your head down. But it is obviously like the number one fucking meta skill, isn't it? Like if you have that, you can become good at anything, basically. You might not be the and, best, but you can become good. And also, just start doing the thing, even if you're bad at it. Because by doing the thing, you will improve at the thing. And the longer you wait to start, you're just undermining yourself in order to achieve, eventually achieve mastery. Everybody's bad when they start things. Everybody. Uh, what are your opinions on the Premier League format, i.e. double round robin with no playoffs? Do you think it works better for football than esports, or would you like the European football leagues to also feature a playoffs? I think it's boring as fuck, but also, I, at least it rewards regular season performance, and it's consistent because basically as a test, the test is how good is this team against the entire field? It doesn't go into a playoff bracket, which is a different test, which is how good are you against the specific opponents you are facing understanding that you might uh, a, a team on the other side of the bracket might be your Achilles heel, but they're eliminated because by a different team, um, even though you match up very stylistically badly into them. Right. Uh, so, or you get lucky in terms of the bracket and you hit teams that stylistically you have an advantage for, even though you are, you would be worse against teams on the other side of the bracket. So purely as an intellectual an intellectually honest format, I like it in terms of excitement. I do not like it. <laughs> yeah, basically the problem is like I as a purist for like competition, I think it's very good because as you said, it's not about head to head, it's purely who is the best against the entire field. It's an honest format. Which is something very <laughs> most sports do not do. Like I actually think the NFL is the worst sport ever for rewarding consistent excellence. Like I'll give you an example of one of the Peyton Manning teams. In 2005 was the year where the Colts went like 14 and two. And that was where they like were half sitting in for the last two games. They didn't go undefeated, right? But they just lost to the Steelers in the first round of the playoff. Now the Steelers won the championship, but that means in history, no one even remembers that as a great team, but it was a mega team. Like they actually, it was like one of the best seasons ever of Peyton Manning, but because you only took it off that one BO one against a head-to-head -head team who would end up winning the championship, they don't even get remembered as good because they've lost in the first round of the playoffs. Meanwhile, if you look at, like, the Premier League, you can't argue the team that wins the best. They have to win the most games or get the most points. Yep. So, And also, what made it eventually work in football is that the Champions League became so good. That's sort of like a different version of a playoff. So you get right. to reward both aspects of excellence. Yes, but that's I will true. say, it, it definitely is shit for storylines, though. Like, because they're just too static. They don't change enough, basically. So, well, also, you know, yeah. like the F1 circuit, you could lock up a title well before the season is over. Oh, and then it's times, just, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like, eh, for the rest of the season, right? The stakes are very low. Like I said, um, the thing I do like, though, is I hate that there are so many team sports where, like, players who didn't win the championship are actually viewed as bombs. But if you ever look at the rest of their career, they're unbelievably good, like, impossibly good players, you know, if you watch all the regular season games. Uh, okay. Somebody took your album advice. Really enjoyed 
Thorin's recommendation of the album, Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Die, Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Live Forever from last week. Do you have any other albums you will you enjoyed in a similar vein? So that's the Does he mean like that same genre, album. maybe? Because I can give you a few of that if you want. Because basically probably... that was from the genre post-rock. Yeah. Which is the one that describes like quite, quite, quite loud, loud. Right. Obviously, the most famous bands in that rig is the, is the Godspeed You Black Emperor and then the group of people around them, like a Silver Mount Zion. This is basically like a group from like Montreal where they were on the Constellation Records and the, the actual groups themselves sometimes have like 11 people. So a bunch of them do a different bunch of projects. All the albums they did are pretty good. There's a group called. Um, do make say think that I was a big fan of in the late nineties and two, early two thousands. That did some really good stuff in this area. Uh, let me think who else. Uh, there's a one I often recommend. It's a very weird post rock group from like Texas who were all into like Christian music called Lift to Experience. They had a very good album that was from two thousand and one. That was a really good one because it was like blending Christian theology with this post rock music. It was a very unique approach. Um, Sigur Ross technically is in the same vein. Yeah, Sigur Ross as well. Is great. Did a lot of good stuff. And I'll give you one more. Let me think. If you know the group Law, L-O-W, they did a lot of albums that were within this genre that was very good. It's actually a great sub-genre. If you ever get into it, there's a lot of really consistently good stuff in there, especially because it's like a very arty genre, so it's, no one's doing it for commercial reasons. They're just doing their style of music. <laughs> Hypothetically, HLE wins World this year mostly by getting carried by Grizzly. Where does Zekka move to in GOAT mid-rankings and Viper in GOAT ADC rankings? Please, man, I can't have Zekka win back-to-back -back titles on two different teams. The, it'll be outrageous. This guy... Well, his chances are so impossibly low to do it, though, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. worried about it. I'm not worried. <laughs> I mean, what if we go back to a Kali Silas meta and he could still play the Tristana and Yone? Yeah, the rest of his team would stop him winning anyway, so don't worry about that. Don't worry I about mean, Aatrox is back, baby. If Viper's good, I don't know, man. It's not, they could pat this team. I would have more faith in this version of HLE pat patch zerging than DRX last year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously the one last year should never have happened, but they also, they also just, it just can't happen. It can't happen. There's no way. Uh, I don't know, man. Close to zero chance. Close to zero. Yeah. But where does Zeka move to and go mid rankings? I mean, not very far if we're being honest. It's not right? even on the list. Yeah. It's not even on the list. And Viper and Goat ADC rankings might move Viper actually. Viper it would be on the list. He is an unbelievable. Yeah, Viper list. would be easily on the list. Player. I think. He's another example of what I was talking about before. Forget this year where he was on this whack ass team. Just look at how he actually plays individually and understand the context. He's a fucking really good player, mate. He's just, pr this year has proven he is just a fabulously talented League of Legends player. Yes. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Jets fan here. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That is the worst. That is now. the fucking worst. You always get the sloppy seconds of the Packers quarterbacks, man, uh, in the twilight of their careers. Um, curious on Monty's. How could he be a Jets fan, dude? Like the Giants also exist in New York. Who the fuck is a Jets fan? Maybe his dad was or something. Though. That could be the thing. Right? <laughs> like, I, that's what I never understood about Jets fans is like you had another choice. It's so, what went wrong where you became a Jets fan instead of a Giants fan. Um, curious on Monty's take of the set recent semi drama between Sean Payton and Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett slash right. Jets coaching. Did you hear so if this? you guys do you believe Payton broke the code, etc. Thoughts on the entire situation. So if you guys don't know, basically Sean Payton, who's the new coach of the Broncos, former Super Bowl winning coach of the uh, the Saints, um, and Nathaniel Hackett, who was a fucking terrible coach on the Broncos last year, 
Uh, Hackett is now the offensive coordinator uh, over on the Jets. He was formerly the offensive coordinator for the Packers under with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. He was a really bad head coach, super bad at clock management. Uh, seems like he was very uh, undisciplined in terms of the way he ran the team. Um, was one of the primary reasons, I think, why the Broncos were so shit last year, in addition to Russell Wilson being bad and and uh, the injuries to to the entire team. So Sean Payton recently came out and basically called Hackett a shit coach in not so many words, which he was, but apparently you're not supposed to say that. Um, I think it's smart of Sean Payton to do this because I think that if you are a new coach coming in with a roster that has many of the same players on it, that is going to require Russell Wilson to succeed in order to be a good team. It is good for the atmosphere of your team to not blame the players. And so I think by, you know, doing a bunch of public, doing a bunch of public statements where he makes it seem as though the old problem, any old problems have gone away and that he is going to fix the majority of the problems that they had. And those problems are no longer present with the team. Whether you believe Russell Wilson is permanently washed or not is, you know, not irrelevant to the situation. I think it's smart for him to draw the line and to, I think it energizes the team and the players in a way. Also, Hackett was shit and he should be called shit. So I don't really have a problem with that. No, but I, I sort of agree. I do think in sports, especially because it's about a group event, I do think there is like a code that when things are like done internally in the locker room, you don't speak publicly about that. The problem here is this, Monty. If he was still Sean Payton of the Saints or whatever the fuck you want, he's seeing that now as a political thing, as you're saying. To, no one's to blame except the guy who coincidentally I've replaced. Like, fuck you, mate. Say that after you win the Super Bowl, cocksucker. Because I tell you what, I tell you what I actually hope happens now. I don't because I actually think Sean Payton's pretty good. But low key, if the Broncos fail now, I hope whoever comes after you buries you motherfucker they <laughs> bury you it's fine I won't... Logic, it's fine to do that that's just the mechanism you use to fuck everyone right as a broncos fan i don't really i like sean payton but i don't have any particular you know love of sean payton because he hasn't done anything for the broncos yet right I, like i respect his previous efforts as a coach but i have no attachment to him so if he fails it's like kind of nothing doesn't mean anything to me but i do think just as a as a way of bonding the team and making sure the players, you know, are loyal and continue to have high hopes for themselves as a motivational tactic. I do think it's good. Um, also, come on. Like, I wish we had more instances like this in the NFL that sets up rivalries because everybody knows that Hackett was shit. He got fired not even without even completing the season. He was clearly incompetent at a head coaching role. And even if he's a good offensive coordinator, which, again, I question because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, and it's the same like Adam Gaze, Peyton Manning situation where it's very, very clear. Daniels at the Patriots, bro. Have you noticed how coincidentally these guys who are the offensive coordinator of like the best quarterbacks magically get a bit overrated when they go elsewhere? Like, yeah. it's just like a rule at this point in time, isn't it? Because by, by the way, that's the dirtiest part about the fact that like Aaron Rodgers pretending he's not shit. It's like, bro, obviously he just lets you do whatever you want, doesn't he? So of course he's your favorite offensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, it's just obvious. Like, I don't believe these guys actually even know how good they are. Like, like they're ignoring their own contribution, surely. Plus, there's going to be a Jets and, and Broncos game this season, which is going to be hyped. I mean, the NFL is now going to flex that into primetime a, a thousand percent for the narrative. It'll be really fun. I wish people did this more in the NFL. Like the shit talking has been very entertaining, uh, but I don't really care which way it goes at the end of the day. <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I don't have an emotional investment in this situation. All right. One last question. 
I understand why G2 dropped Hyarnin, but why wasn't he picked up by another team? He did outplay Uzi in a best of five at Worlds. He can't be on any LEC team. I mean, he was never that good. Did he outplay Uzi over... You're just the guy from before. Oh, Skip Bayless telling me about Aaron Rodgers' playoff rank. Did he? No, actually, I think what happened is this. One, I would say, first of all, Perks probably outplayed Zawu. I'll give you that. And then secondly, there was like a couple of games where Jan did a really good job. He did. You make it sound like he fucking 3-0 clapped Uzi's cheeks. And then Uzi was like, I actually must retire now because Jan is too goated. Like... And then also, it's not like he didn't go anywhere. Like, didn't he just go and play on like, the ERLs or something? No, I think he was on like one of the back. Wasn't he on like fucking XL or some shit in the first split? Let me look. I don't recall. Up. I'm almost certain he went to like a bad LEC team right afterwards. Let me look here. So he went to. No, like, apparently after that, he was on like uh, an ERL team. And then he was on XL briefly in summer of 2019. So, spoiler. Everyone in the entire world didn't miss that this guy you think clapped Uzi eye was secretly the best. But the, no, it was just an all right player. Here's the thing I will say about Yarnan. From talking to a lot of his teammates, people tell me the thing that's underrated about him is he was quite smart about the game, apparently. Like, supposedly in the old H2K with, like, Odoana, he was, like, a shot caller or something. So, supposedly he had, like, smarts for the game, but he clearly was not a monster ADC. He was, I always thought he was, like, an example of, like, just a bang average ADC player. He was just all right. He wasn't even, like, a big hyper carry to me. So, I think that's just an example of, like, you actually missed the point completely. Like that's one that, by the way, that is one of the best cuts in the history of League of Legends because you just <laughs> beat the number one team in the world and went semis at Worlds and you still cut and in doing so made a super team. Like that's a perfect example of great GMing. Oh, you know how many teams, Monty, would just keep that lineup just because he made semis and just give you another run back here. And the next year, you'd never do anything. You'd be worse the next year. But that was a great example of like a ruthless but necessary cut. <laughs> Same with Wadid. That guy couldn't have stayed either. What, you play like one and a half champions or something? I forgot about that guy. <laughs> so you mentioned him just now. Wasn't he the guy who like, oh, could only play like Tom Kench or something ridiculous? It was something insane like that, I remember. <laughs> All right, uh, that'll do it for this episode, guys. We'll be back next week to preview LCK playoffs and those matchups, talk about LPL finals, and uh, get into the final weeks of playoffs uh, uh, over in LCS as well. So we'll see you then.